I'm a huge planner. So whenever my wife, Radhi and I would go on our adventures, I'd meticulously plan out our itineraries and book our accommodations in advance. It's like a yearly tradition that we do. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to every step of the way. Whether I want to be a simple guy nestled in the countryside or be the stylish and modern guy in the heart of the city, Booking.com never fails to offer a wide range of options that perfectly suit your preferences and they have everything you need to turn your travel dreams into reality, offering accommodations here in the US. Plus, the ease of booking through the app makes the whole process a breeze. So trust me when I say, when it comes to planning unforgettable getaways, Booking.com is where it's at. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com. Booking.yeah. Herbs have been a huge part of my wellness journey. Thanks to my Indian roots, My mom introduced them to me and I saw firsthand how they worked wonders for both body and mind. And when it comes to keeping my digestion in check, slippery elm bark and ginger root are my go-tos. Our sponsor, Nature's Way, has over 50 years sourcing these herbs and many more that can promote digestive health. Visit naturesway.com forward slash herbs and use code J10 at checkout for 10% off any herbal supplements through June 30. Terms apply. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I just felt like I was so addicted to this kind of false version of my life that it was just taking over. And the thing that really upset me is the press ran with that. They were saying, oh, look, he's not the perfect happy-go-lucky kid you think he is. He's having a nervous breakdown in New York. If I was having a mental breakdown, that's not for you to report on. They took the story in the wrong direction and they kind of painted people looking for help in the wrong light. The best-selling author and host. The number one health and wellness podcast. On purpose with Jay Shetty. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose, the number one health podcast in the world. Thanks to each and every one of you that come back every week to listen, learn, and grow. Now, I'm so grateful and so excited because I get to sit down with people that I find fascinating, incredible, thoughtful, insightful, and people who allow me into their lives and into their minds. And today's someone who I've wanted to sit down with for a long, long time. And I'm so grateful that in his busy schedule, he's been able to carve out some time to sit down with me today. I'm talking about the one, the only Tom Holland. Tom, it is so great to be with you, mate. Thank you, mate. Thanks for having me. I'm genuinely grateful that you're here. I know we've just been casually catching up before this and it's already been so fun. So I'm really yes. looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited to listen to you and learn from you and speak about mindfulness. And I love, you know, that your program's about health. I'm going through a little bit of like a health journey right now, which I'm loving. So I can't wait to dive into that. And thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I've, I've always really appreciated how much you've opened up about that journey in your own way. And I think what's really interesting for me is a lot of people open up after it's solved. Sure. Whereas you've kind of been telling us as things are going on. And I think that's actually quite rare because usually when you're going through something, it's kind of harder to articulate it and explain it and have people understand it. Sure. And the fact that you're doing that, I think takes a lot of courage. So I just wanted to point that out straight off the bat that I think that's really tough and people don't do that. People kind of 
wait till they're out of it. And again, I'm not judging either approach because totally. it's up to the individual, but I do think it takes a lot of strength to, to do what you're doing. So thank you for that. But, oh, mate. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. But let's dive in. I, I wanted to talk about, I know that your family is very close to you and yes. you're very close to family. Very close. And we're just talking about your... You're living in Kingston, which is, I believe, where you grew up. Yeah, right down the road. Yeah. yeah, amazing. And what's really interesting is that a lot of studies show that how we were loved or unloved between the ages of zero to five impact the next 15, 25, 50 years of our life wow. and how we give love to ourselves and how we give love to others. And so I was thinking, do you have a core memory or an experience with your family from childhood that kind of embodies the feeling you have about them now or that keeps you tied close to them? I'd say sort of more than a memory is just a feeling that we, I could say all of my brothers and I had, was that because our dad's a comedian, his job only ever existed once we had gone to bed and our mum worked from home, she was a photographer. So to us as kids, our parents didn't really work. They just were always home. So we had this amazing foundation where no matter any time of the day, either mum or dad would be at the house. And we felt so kind of solid as a family, which is why like, I kind of have this dream of one day having kids and putting my work to bed and just kind of being there as a dad. Because I really admire how my dad was around, you know, being a comedian is a very, very volatile job. The, the highs and lows are so extreme. And as kids, we never saw that. The only version of my dad I ever saw was the happy dad, let's go to the park, we used to play this game called golf goals where we would go down to the park. There's like this big blue metal goal and we would just fire golf balls into that goal <laughs> every day. And he would give us 10 P every time a ball went in the goal. And that was kind of the foundation of our golf and, and all that sort of stuff. So for me, broader than a core memory was the idea of always feeling connected and safe within my family unit. And I think a large portion of that is that my mum and dad have always been such a solid team and they've always been there for us. Yeah, wow. Have they, as you've grown older, have they kind of opened up about some of the challenges that they were going through that they obviously didn't show you and your family when you were kids? Because I can imagine, we always talk about this, right? Like being a comedian is extremely difficult because you're making everyone else laugh. At the same time, it's, it's a career path that, like you said, is completely volatile. Sure. Have they, have they opened up as time's gone on? And how has that felt when you've gone from like seeing your parents always being happy to being like, oh wait, there was all this other stuff going on. Absolutely they have. And, and it's not even sometimes thing that they've told us. It's just things that we've grown up to recognize. As a young kid, you know, you're not looking to, how's my mum feeling? How's my dad feeling? And now as an, as an older person, you know, those are things I care about. I want to call my mum because I know it will brighten her day. So that's all part of growing up, I guess. So seeing the way in which my dad's job affects him or my dad's job affects my mum is something we've all sort of come to terms with. And he's amazing at it. I mean, to be honest, I say affect, it doesn't really affect anyone. He's so good at handling it, um, which is a lot of why I feel like I am the way I am. For example, the crowded rooms come out, the critics absolutely hated it. They thought it was the worst thing they've ever seen. And it doesn't really upset me. And I think a large part of my feeling towards that has come from my dad being able to do a gig, the gig not going well, him brushing it off his shoulder and just right onto the next one. Yeah, well, and, and first of all, I want to point that out as well. So I've been watching the crowded room. Right. And me and my wife have been watching it together and we were actually really enjoying Good, it. Good, thank and you. So like we were actually <laughs> loving it because I love a show that has mystery. Sure. That's trying to like get me to figure it out and get right. me to think about it. I'm kind of confused and I love 
stuff like that. Like I'm totally. a massive uh, Christopher Nolan fan. Yeah, absolutely. So all my favorite movies are Nolan movies. And the reason why I love them is because I have no idea what's going on. Sure. And that's and you got to keeps... figure it out. And you got to figure yeah. it out. And I love puzzles and I love escape rooms and I love anything love that- Love an escape room. Yeah, I love anything that's got me thinking, what is going on here and why can't I figure it out? Mate, and... do you know what you should watch? I, I admittedly watch it to go to sleep if I'm ever feeling stressed or like overstimulated. Yeah. I watch this guy called Chris Ramsey. He, okay. He's like a YouTube guy. He's a magician, but I just watch him solve puzzles. He like buys these Japanese like handcrafted puzzle boxes wow. and he just solves them. And I've started buying them and they come to the house and you sit down for four hours, put it down, pick it up and try and solve this puzzle. And it's amazing. Have you? Are you any good at them? No, I'm no. terrible at them. Mate. I'm absolutely <laughs> terrible. I've had an unsolved Rubik's cube since I was like eleven. <laughs> but I um. But yeah, so I watch his videos because there's yeah. just something about like the sound of the wood. I'm a carpenter, so I love like craftsmanship and that sort of stuff. So I love the way that these pieces are put together. So watching him solve the puzzles, I find so relaxing. Yeah, I think for so many of us, you know, getting bad reviews, perceptions people talking about us, whatever that may be, whatever scale we live at can actually affect us. Sure. And you saying that actually seeing your dad, letting him, seeing him shrug it off and seeing him move on actually really helped him. Do you think that you've been able to create a bit more of a skill around that now? Or is it something that happens naturally for you? Because I, I'm guessing that there's a lot of people who are listening and watching going, Tom, that's pretty amazing that you can do that at your scale and your level. But, you know, I'm still affected by that. Or I really struggle when my mate says something. Like, I know sure. the number one thing I hear is like, most people don't chase their dreams because they're scared of what their mates will say, let wow. alone what the world what will the say. What the world will say. Yeah, yeah, like I had this late, I was, I was flying back last night as I was telling you. So I was on a plane from DC to London last night and the air hostess, she was wonderful. Her name was Jeanette. She said to me, she was like, Jay, I really want to start a YouTube channel, but you know, you just got to block out what your friends are going to say, right? And she was just worried about it. So that it's a very real thing. So I guess, have you kind of figured out a little formula for it or is it just natural because you saw your dad and it's become easier that way? I think it's a little bit of both really. You know, I think it's something you definitely get better at. I'm really lucky that I have an incredibly strong group of friends like one of my best mates just called me up earlier to say he'd seen the fifth episode and he's like i know what happens in the show and i'm still loving it the people i'm watching it with have no idea what's going on but they can't wait for the next one yeah. so you know i really really hold high the opinions of people that i really care about i'm also really lucky to have an amazing group of fans who are so supportive they are die hard they are there day one and that makes me feel really good but I, I do think a lot of my lessons in life have come from my dad and the ways that he can deal with things, things that he hasn't done very well in the past that he's passed on to me. And I sort of, I live by this really, I don't actually know if Christian Bale did say this, but apparently, <laughs> I think I love he Christian did. Bale, so I love Christian we'll Bale. Say he said I absolutely it. Yeah, love we said, Christian we'll Bale. We'll say he said it, yeah. But I think the quote is, if you have a problem with me, text me. And if you don't have my number, you don't know me well enough to have a problem with me. That's so good. And I think that that is such a great piece of advice because as a celebrity, you live on this stage, you live out there, you kind of give out a version of yourself that you want people to see. Mm -hmm. And that can be the version of yourself that they can have a problem with or they can love. And there is a, you know, I feel like I'm quite authentic in my public persona, but I just try to really care about what my family thinks, what my friends think. 
what the people in my local community think. I live in Kingston. I know everyone that lives there. I can't walk five feet without bumping into one of my mum's friends. So yeah, so it's something I've been working on. I try my best to not let that stuff affect me. It does. Yeah, of course. I'm not cold hearted or anything like that. <laughs> it does affect me, but I just try to, to move on and focus on the positives. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. What, what was a, did you ever see your dad deal with everything and you thought, wow, that was incredible. Like, was there anything specific that you remember that like seeing him like tackle something and you thought, wow, that really impressed me. Even if it was something really small in hindsight. I think the thing I admire most about my dad is his resilience. You know, he's someone who has had an incredibly successful career in his earlier life. And then later in life, his career sort of plateaued and he struggled and he's never stopped. He's never given up. He's still gigging to this day. He's still writing books. He has a patron. He has a podcast. He's constantly grafting to get to where he wants to be. And I think being a young kid and seeing your dad continually working as hard as he can to kind of put his best foot forward, for me, has been a huge drive for my work ethic. I'll give it 100% or I'll give it nothing. And I think a lot of that has come from my dad and seeing yeah. him deal with that. The funny thing about my dad is you talk about doing a bad gig. I must have seen him 20 times. I've never seen him do a bad <laughs> gig. He always seems to absolutely rip it. Um, but maybe that's just because we're in the audience. <laughs> but he, um, but no, I, I, I owe a lot to my dad and a lot of the teachings are things he's told me and things I've just witnessed him do. Yeah. And was there ever a piece of feedback or a rumor or something you saw that did affect you where you actually thought, well, or at least made you stop and go, God, I'm trying to see the positives, but this one's tough. Like, like this actually made me have to pause and figure it out. Something that did really upset me. I was in New York. I was shooting the crowded, crowded room and I was having a really hard time with the job just because of how taxing it was, the emotional capacity that I was having to get to every day. And I decided to delete my Instagram because I just felt like I was so addicted to this kind of false version of my life that it was just taking over. I would be on set working. I'd come and sit in my chair and just scroll, 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 scroll. And it was, it was becoming a problem. I was just obsessed with it. And I was obsessed to find out what people were saying and how people, what they thought about me. So I decided to make an announcement, which unfortunately we have to do and say that I'm taking a break from social media. And I, and I try to position myself and say like, I'm taking a break from social media because I feel like my mental health will benefit from it. And the thing that really upset me is the press ran with that. And they tried to make out that I was having this mental breakdown and what upset me was, if I was having a mental breakdown, that's not for you to report on. They, they, they took the story in the wrong direction and they, try, they painted again this negative light on mental health. Rather than saying, oh, he's doing it. It's okay that he's doing it. So we should all feel okay to do it too. They were saying, oh, look, he's not the perfect happy-go-lucky kid you think he is. He's having a nervous breakdown in New York. And I think that that was a really unfair line of journalism, let's say, because I just think it, again, kind of painted people looking for help in the wrong light, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. It almost sounds like you were actually preemptively going, I'm doing this so that I don't right. go in that direction. Totally. So, at least I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it's, absolutely. Like, it's almost like I'm proactively seeing that I could end up in a position where sure. 
I might have a breakdown. I don't want to be in that position. And so I'm responsibly saying, guys, I'm taking a break. Right. In order to protect myself. A hundred percent. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense and actually is quite admirable again. Totally. Yeah. And that's kind of what the message of the show is about. Like the, the message of our show is that asking for help should be something that we celebrate. Yeah. If you're struggling, if you need help, if you feel bad and you wake up and, and you go to a friend, a therapist, a teacher, an employee or a colleague and say, I'm really struggling. I need some help. That should be something that we give you a pat on the back. Like, I would love to help you. That, I'm, I'm delighted that you asked me. And that, for me, that announcement was kind of my olive branch and the press ran with it how they ran with it. But to be fair, it kind of gave me a great drive to finish the crowded room in the way that we did. To like, if you're not going to listen to my personal message, then you have to listen to the message of my show. Yeah. So it kind of went hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You've, you've reminded me actually... When, when you said that, because I think we naturally today think of therapists or, or doctors, but you, you mentioned teacher there. And I was thinking when I was going through a really rough time at school once, I remember my walk to school from the bus stop, I'd see a teacher every day that I was really close with at school, but you never talk to your teachers nah. walking to school. Not a crazy right? person. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I was so lonely at the time that I remember like almost thinking like, well, he's the only person I can talk to because of other stuff that I was going through at school. And I remember I started talking to him on the way to school. His name is Mr. Buckridge. He knows, I go on about him everywhere and he avoids right. it because everyone's always like, oh, Jay's been Mr. talking Buckridge. about you. Yeah, 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 Jay's been talking about you. And, but it was, it was that exact feeling where it was like, he was someone that I felt I could open to at that, open up to at that point in my life without feeling judged, without feeling like he was going to see me through another lens. And just having that space to be seen for as a human who was going through stuff totally. by a teacher was a huge, huge win. And so, you know, it's, you are right that that help can come in all different forms and it, does, it doesn't have to come in the ways that we expect it to come in. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a professional. Yeah. I go to my friends a lot and, and you know, some friends are better than others in certain <laughs> situations. I've got some friends that are very much like pull your socks up and get on with it. And then yeah. other friends who are like, come here and have a cry on my shoulder. But like, it, it varies. So I, I, yeah. I just really hope that that's what the show can do is, yeah. is, sort of paint this positive picture of asking for help is something to be proud of. Well, that's a great message. And, and I think we all, we all need to hear it. And I want to go back a little bit because there's a lot of interviews that you've done and I've, and I've watched a lot of stuff over the time, but like we we're talking about, a lot of it's sound bites because it's quick and short and like yeah, right. these entertainment, you know, interviews. And that's why I was really grateful that you took out the time to do this. But you were diagnosed, as far as I read, with dyslexia at age seven. Yes. And I was wondering how you know, a lot of our community and our audience is diagnosed as well, or some of them are not, but they're finding out later on in life. How did that affect you? Or how were you set up for success with that? From Because as an actor, you've got to learn lines, you've got to read lines. You, there's a lot of activities that people would assume are quite challenging. Sure. But you found a way and, and walk us through that a little bit. I don't know. I had, my mum has always been really hands-on with our education. Mm -hmm. She you know, really wanted us to just do our best. Our dad always said like, look, I don't care what grades you get. As long as you try your best, you try your best. And that's all that we can ask for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, my dyslexia, it's really just my spelling. <laughs> I mean, honestly. It's just that, yeah. You know, like I, those sort of games that you play at Christmas. Have you ever played um, the one we have to write down the answers? The, it's, oh, oh, it's such uh, a good game. Is it Boulder Dash? I don't know Boulder Dash. Is it? Uh... It's basically a game where someone will read out a scenario or um, right. ask a question, and then you have to answer the question to the best of your ability, but you can also bluff and lie. Oh, I've never played this and game. And if you okay. write somewhat a believing answer and people vote for your answer, you win. Oh, cool. Okay, I've never played it. Which is great, yeah. but when I play it, everyone's like, 
What does that say? <laughs> that is definitely not spelt right. Good. Um, but yeah, so my spelling was really the biggest hurdle. Yeah. Um, I worked really hard at school. I yeah. didn't do particularly well, but again, my parents said, as long as you try your best, then that's yeah. all we can ask for. Yeah. And acting, you started early too, age nine, right? Like that was something that you started pursuing really early on in life. And I feel, was that something that you were always sure about? There's that, there's that famous viral TikTok that always goes around of you. You know, I can't, I don't know how old you were being asked, you know, what superhero would you play oh, right. when you're yeah, older? Yeah, yeah. And you say, oh, maybe Spider-Man, <laughs> yeah. right? And it's like, and, and I wonder like how much of your acting career do you feel like you've manifested or there was a vision or a focus or is it more just like, this was naturally what you were into in it and sure. it grew. Where, where did that come from? I do believe in manifesting actually. I really do. I think what's interesting about my career is this was never something I wanted. I just was a young kid. I loved dancing. My mum would take me to a dance class every Saturday. And I got spotted through that dance class to, to audition for a show on the West End. I ended up doing the show. Billy I loved Elliot. it. Billy Elliot. It was a time Love of my life. I, you know, it was such a cool experience. I'm just by complete fluke, an agent came to see the show the night that I was on. She signed me. She sent me to an audition for a film. I was lucky enough to get the part. All of a sudden, I was on set with Ewan McGregor and Naomi Watts, and we made The Impossible. And to be perfectly honest with you, it was it was just a hobby. It was something that my mum would let me do on the summer holidays. She was very keen that I kept my schooling up. And there sort of came that time in England where you're in between GCSEs and A-levels, and you're trying to figure out. When I was going through that, you could still drop out at A-levels. Obviously, now you have to do A-levels. And I had that moment where I was like, what do I want to do? I could try and stay at school and figure out what I want to do or this thing that's been a hobby, but my sort of summer holiday activity, which is acting, I could try and do that for a living. And I've been so lucky that I've been, you know, offered jobs and all that sort of stuff. I decided to go with it. I, I, I joined the Brit school because, you know, my mum was keen that I didn't go for school for an education, but went to school to expand my social skills and meet kids my own age. All my friends when I was 15 were like 30-year-old people because they're all adults from the business. <laughs> um, so I think my mum was keen that I had some friends that are my age who are now my best friends today. So I never really wanted this. I just sort of never stopped doing it. And I love it. I absolutely love it. I love the creativity. I love the building blocks that are required to put a film together. I love the collaboration on set between people from all different walks of life. You know, a film set is a melting pot of all sorts of different people. Um, so I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Wow. And and I, I read something that you said you were bullied for like doing ballet. Yeah, right. Early, which obviously got you into the, playing the role of Billy Elliot because it's ballet and tap, right? Sure. It's, it's both. So was, was, that, was that tough at the time or like were you trying to hide it and then you end up on, you know, you end up at the West End and you're on the main stage and everyone's seeing it or was it kind of easy to navigate and... How did that go down? Because I feel like as a kid, doing ballet and tap must have been a little challenging. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was easy, but it also wasn't tough, right. you know. I went to a rugby school, so you can imagine, like, the one kid in the school that does ballet. There's going to be comments here and there. It wasn't the easiest thing in the world. There were kids that didn't understand why I was doing it or what I was doing it for. No matter how many times I explained, like, I'm the only guy in a class of 30 girls in tights. I was like, guys, this is what you want to be doing. Like, rugby is not it. <laughs> but I, nah, it was tough. But again, like, it goes back to what we were saying about yeah. resilience and, yeah. and keeping your head down. And crowded room was the hardest job I've ever had for all sorts of different reasons. And there was a point in time where we were talking about 
do we shut this down and walk away from it because of how challenging it was. And, you know, I dug my heels in, I put my head down and was like, no, I'm going to finish this. I'm going to see it through. And I think, you know, you learn from past experiences like that. So I really am proud of the way we, everyone handled the crowded room. And I think that stems from my childhood, my dad's experiences and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, so I've got a confession as well to make. Go on. So I went to rugby school as well. Okay. And Did I, you play? I, I played, yeah, I played for my A team and I was, I was pretty Are good. Are you in the A I was team? Pretty good. I was pretty good. Okay. What because position I, did you play? Blindside flanker. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So I was, I was really into rugby because I went to rugby school and I loved football, but my school right. didn't play football. And so I was like, no, I've got to be on the school's main team. Sure, sure, sure. So I worked really hard to get on the team. But after we played rugby on a Saturday, my mum forced me to go to dance class and part of it was ballet and tap as well. Really? Although I did not end up at the West End and play right, Billy right, Elliot because right. I don't think Billy <laughs> Elliot was brown. So <laughs> well, that, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it wasn't the same path as you. Oh, but, mate. But I also had that experience. <laughs> That's why I had to ask you about Did it. you enjoy it? I really enjoyed it for the community aspect of it. Like I love all the lads that I was there with. And sure. they, were just, they were just a great laugh. And it was yeah. really interesting because we'd go from, I'd literally go from playing rugby straight to class on a Saturday and I'd go in there with all my bruises exhausted and yeah, all the yeah, rest yeah. of it. But everyone's just so much fun. Sure. And it's almost like the rugby pitch was more stressful because everyone 100%. was like, you know, trying to be intense and trying to be this and that. Whereas everyone just having a laugh at the dance totally. class. And we do everything from hip hop to street to Love it. whatever. But yeah, I remember never telling, I, I think this is the first time I've <laughs> ever spoken about it's it. It's out there. Because I'm in a safe space with you. So like. <laughs> but it's interesting because rugby is regimented, isn't it? Yeah. Rugby, I love rugby, by the you way. Play a, you play a position that is as specific as saying the blind side flanker. You know, when you're a dancer, you're just a dancer. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, 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 you can fit in however you want to fit in. Yeah. The teacher can ask you, how are you feeling about that? Rather yeah. than like, you need to get your head down to the left to make a proper tackle. <laughs> I did love playing rugby when I was smaller. Yeah. When all the, well, not when I was smaller, when all the kids were smaller. <laughs> and then there was that time where I came back to school after Billy Elliot and everyone had just become a man. <laughs> and I was still very much a child. Yeah, yeah. I remember we played this school called Trinity College. And it was my first game back and I was playing scrum half. I came on the second half and it was a violent game. It was not, it was not a, a gentleman's game of rugby. And I was standing, they were kicking to us, we were receiving. And I remember thinking, as long as the ball doesn't come to me off of the kick, I'll be fine. I need the game to get going and then I'll be fine. I'm scrum half, relatively safe yeah, yeah, position. Yeah. I'm a good playmaker. As soon as he kicked the ball, it's coming straight towards me. <laughs> I, I'm trying to catch it. I can hear the boots running towards me. I fumble it, knock on. The game goes on. I start playing well. I assisted a try. And then I don't remember what happened or how it happened. But there was a, a really tough kid on our team who will remain nameless. I haven't spoken to him since. I don't know what he's doing. But he got into a fight with some kid on the opposing team. And it was really quite ugly. And then the kid's dad came on the pitch to tell off this boy that was on my team and the kid on my team knocked out his dad no like proper like it's the first time i've ever seen someone hit someone and i couldn't believe that a kid who was how old are you yeah he must have been 16 at the time but he's one of those 16 year olds that would look older than i do now when he was 16 and i just remember hearing the noise he like cracked this dad on the jaw hit the floor then this whole big fight broke out i'm not a fighter i stepped away and was sort of like what's going on yeah, it was wild. And that was the last game of rugby I ever played. It was against Trinity College. Oh my God. Yeah, it was really intense. Wow. Yeah, that that is good. intense. Yeah, that's how intense it got. I, my last game was similar, but not, not watching a fight. So someone ran, I had, it was a big game and it was right. like I was playing really well that season and everything was going really well. And 
someone ran into a rock, but with their elbow, which is obviously yeah, illegal. Totally. They ran in and they elbowed me right there, like right below, it's on this side and right below there. And the next thing I know, I get up and I'm like kind of feeling a bit aggressive. Are you cut as well? Well, I didn't notice. And then blood starts to drip. And I was like, that's when you freak out. Cause you're mm. like, oh God, I'm, I'm like, I can, and there's a lot of blood just dripping. So I get subbed off and the nurse on the side just puts a bit of glue there, like to stick it together. Mm -hmm. And at, the, at that time you don't really notice and you think you're all right. And then literally an hour later, it's just getting thicker and thicker and thicker. And I'm ending up with this, run to the hospital on the way home because my coach was just like, suck it up, it's fine. You'll be fine. Run yeah. there. They're like, if you were any later, you would have had nerve damage and like personally, p potentially lost your eyesight, whatever it was. And they had to like glue it and a little bit of stitches or whatever it was. And I, for the, for the rest of the month, I walked around with my, like, you know, eye literally hanging over and I looked like I'd got into like the worst fight. Like I walked into a store and everyone would kind of back off and stuff. And it was just really uncomfortable. That was my last game of rugby. That's why I just remembered that. But yeah, it was, it was, inter it was, it was intense, but it was great. Like you said, it was great regimented discipline training. I loved training with my mates. I loved playing. I loved as a young man as well, like having a outlet to release the energy that I had totally. I was good in, in obviously in a way that wasn't trying to hurt others. But that's but, what's so great about boxing. Yeah. It's like boxing is such a great release. You know, you see these young kids, like young kids who are angry, who need to let something go, like go and punch a bag for an hour. Like that will make you, that will calm you down. Yeah. I love how boxing is such a great thing for young, for young people to, to release that sort of energy. Are you boxing? Do you box? I love or? boxing. Yeah. It's been a few years since I've, I've done any sort of training. I used to go to this great gym in, um, in New York called Church Street Boxing. Mm -hmm. I used to love it there. Had a great pro. You could sort of spar with him because you know that he wouldn't batter you because he could control himself. I went to one sparring session, just a general session, and I got absolutely <laughs> battered. <laughs> yeah, it was tough, but I love it. I love the sport. I'm a little bit sad as to like how the sport is being run right now. Right. Um, but I do love the sport and I admire the athletes. I think yeah. they're amazing. What's your take on YouTubers, boxing and all that kind of stuff? And because it's obviously bringing a lot of attention to the sport. To be perfectly honest with you, Mark, I don't really mind it. Yeah. I think it's quite fun. I think if you're doing it for the right reasons, you know, there's a great opportunity to raise some money for amazing charities. And yeah. I think a few of them have done a lot for charity. Um, I think it's really great. I think, yeah, you know, my brother Paddy would never have been watching boxing and now yeah, yeah. he loves I'd it because of his favourite YouTubers of boxing. So yeah. if it's good for the sport, it's good for the sport. I, I sort of don't really mind. Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny, to be honest. Yeah, because you sit at home watching it, you're like, I could do that. I could yeah. get in there and do that. And you're like, well, why don't you? And you're like, well, yeah. I don't really want to do that. <laughs> so we, we might see you in Creed 4 then. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. That's, yeah, we'll, we'll, do the, we'll do the acting boxing. I'd love to do a boxing movie. Yeah. I think it would be cool to do a boxing movie, but where the fighting is real. Like, Walk me through that. I wouldn't necessarily be in that film, <laughs> right? But I do think that you could make a really interesting film where the outcome of the film is determined on the outcome of the real fight. Has anything like that ever been done? Like racing or any... any can you... I'm just trying to... Not that I know of. Yeah, not no. that I know of. That's what I'm trying to think. It could be really cool. Yeah, wow. But yeah, I love I love boxing movies. I'm yeah. a sucker for it. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. One's, which, which one's your favourite? I think Rocky Two is probably my favorite. Yeah, I remember in, when we were in Billy Elliot, we had this room called the Billy Room and there was always a Billy backstage while the show was going on because the show was so labor intensive. It was very dangerous. There's lots of moving parts. There's lots of acrobatics. It wasn't too uncommon for a Billy to get injured. And then there would be someone upstairs who would replace that Billy. 
and we would just hang out upstairs and there was an Xbox and a television and, and all that sort of stuff. And one of the DVDs that we had, the two DVDs we had was Step Up to the Streets, <laughs> my favorite film of all time, <laughs> and Rocky Two. And I must have seen that film 40 times. I How many times film. did you practice the dance in the mirror? Oh man, I've got the whole dance yeah. down, bro. <laughs> Can we see it? No. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that yeah. film. I absolutely love that film. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say my favorite. So Rocky was my favorite because I'd watch it with my dad. Sure. And Rocky, uh, I, I struggle between Rocky 3 and Rocky 4 because I loved Mr. T. And that's I, four, three. Right? That's three. That's three. And I loved Ivan Drago as well, which was four. And they were both just such great movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, yeah, it's such great entertainment, even though it's nothing like real boxing. Yeah, nothing at but, all. Yeah, nothing, <laughs> nothing at like all. Nothing like real boxing. But then I remember watching real boxing when I was growing up. It was Prince Nassim. Oh, man, so I, I love it. Yeah, yeah, my dad was a big fan of his, so I'd remember watching him a lot. I love his style. There's a yeah. video of him working with the, I guess he's just, it's like a swinging bag, and he is so effortless. Because Canelo's got a great head movement, but the, but he looks like he's thinking about it. Yeah. Whereas Nazim is just living the dream. Just he's so fluid, and I love the way he used to move. Yeah, yeah. And I love how we would enter the ring. <laughs> Me, I would over rotate and <laughs> slam on my face or something. Yeah, he was brilliant. Yeah, Amazing. it was like wrestling meets boxing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that he must have been a nightmare to fight. Yeah, yeah. It must have been like he's beating me and he's embarrassing me. This yeah. is really tough. Terrible. What do you think of Lemachenko? Did you see his last fight? I haven't. No, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. That's an interesting one. Go on, tell me. I, I didn't see it at all. Well, I think the general consensus is that he won. Oh. But it was given the other way. Right, right. He right, is right. my favorite boxer. Right. Because of his history, his background in dance. He was like, I guess, a really talented boxer. And then I guess, I don't know if this is true, but his dad sent him to go and study dance for sort of five years or something like that. For his boxing. For thing. his boxing, yeah. which is why his footwork is like on another planet. Wow. There's loads of examples of where he's fighting people and they look up and he's just gone. He's wow. behind them. So I I really admire him. But his most recent fight, he lost. How did it go against him? Was it a vote? It was like a vote. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. They went against him. So I wonder whether they'll fight again. Yeah. I guess they'll have to if there's... It seems like this isn't a conspiracy theory But that's the you. problem with boxing though. Like, will they fight again? Yeah, yeah, You know, because yeah. it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky business. Unlike the UFC where, you know, if they want to fight, they'll fight. That's what yeah. I love about it. I took yeah. my brother and my cousin to the UFC the other night and phew, that is such a savage sport. It is. That is, yeah, it's terrifying. We really don't want that to be a movie and a real one. Have oh, you seen The Warrior? I was just going to talk one about my Mate, that movie's so that good. Mo the Warrior is one of the most underrated movies. It's that movie's so excellent. good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little ridiculous, the idea that they have like six fights a night getting yeah. ready for one final. But yeah. I do love that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really yeah, it's good brilliant. movie. It's a really good movie. Oh, well, okay. All right. So we know there's a boxing movie coming somewhere yeah, down the line. Yeah, there's got to be one so down the line. There's yeah. got to be one down the line. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we want to see you work your way up. And I mean, we might see you like, you know. Actually, go do it for real. Sounds yeah, like imagine. It, yeah. <laughs> for charity, maybe. This episode is brought to you by Eight Sleep. Did you know that temperature is one of the most important factors in improving your sleep quality? When you wake up in the middle of the night or feel extra groggy in the morning, temperature is almost always to blame. Why? While traditional mattresses trap heat throughout the night, science has shown that your body temperature actually needs to drop in the early and middle part of your sleep and rise in the morning so that you can fall asleep fast and get more deep sleep. The pod cover by 8sleep fits on any bed like a fitted sheet. The pod cover will improve your sleep by automatically adjusting the temperature on each side of the bed 
based on you and your partner's individual needs. It can cool down and warm up and adjusts based on the phases of your sleep and the environment that you're in. The comfort level is off the charts. But that's not even the best part. The temperature control technology has been a total game changer for me. I wake up feeling more refreshed, energized and ready to take on the day. It even tracks my sleep patterns and can be integrated into my smart home system. I've never experienced sleep like this. Invest in the rest you deserve with the 8 Sleep Pod. Go to 8sleep.com forward slash purpose and save $150 on the pod cover by 8sleep. That's the best offer you'll find, but you must visit 8sleep.com forward slash purpose for $150 off. 8sleep currently ships within the USA, Canada, the UK, select countries in the EU and Australia. One of the things that you mentioned recently was that you gave up drinking about a year and a half ago. Yes. And you said it was the hardest thing you ever did. Yes. And I wanted to know what was so hard about it for you? Why was it so hard? It's interesting. I, I didn't one day wake up and say, I'm giving up drinking. I just, like many Brits, had had a very, very boozy December. Christmas time, I was on vacation. I was drinking a lot. And I've always been able to drink a lot. I think I get my genes from my mum's side in that thing. Like I can, I can drink. And I decided to just give up for January. I just wanted to do dry January. And all I could think about was having a drink. It's all I could think about. I, I was waking up thinking about it. I was checking the clock. When's it 12? And it just really scared me. I just was like, wow, maybe, maybe I have a little bit of an alcohol thing. So I sort of decided to punish myself and say, I'll do February as well. I'll do two months off. If I can do two months off, then I can prove to myself that I don't have a problem. Two months go by and I was still really struggling. I felt like I couldn't be social. I felt like I couldn't go to the pub and have a lime soda. I couldn't go out for dinner. I was really, really struggling. And I started to really worry that maybe I had an alcohol problem. Um, so I decided that I would wait until my birthday, which is June 1st. I said to myself, if I can do six months without alcohol, then I can prove to myself that I don't have a problem. And by the time I had got to June 1st, I was the happiest I've ever been in my life. I could sleep better. I could handle problems better. Things that would go wrong on set that would normally set me off, I could take in my stride. I had so much, such better mental clarity. I felt healthier. I felt fitter. And I just sort of said to myself, like, why, why am I enslaved to this drink? Why am I so obsessed by the idea of having this drink? And I would look back and recognize that I would go to events for, for work and be like, I can't enjoy myself until I've had a few beers. And I just felt so much pressure. And this is one of the things why I've sort of distanced myself from the rugby community, because so much of it is about how much can you drink? Let's get you as drunk as possible. And it's honestly been the best thing I've ever done. I'm a year and a half into it now. It doesn't even cross my mind. I found amazing replacements that I think are fantastic. Ones that are also really healthy. I found this one beer that is full of electrolytes and it's, you know, the carbohydrates in it are long lasting <laughs> energy. So like having a beer is now actually like a really healthy thing. I'm really lucky that all my friends are super supportive about it. I've never run into that scenario where my friends are like, oh, go on, just have a beer. Like you're fine. They've always sort of really supported me. And I don't want to be that person that's, saying to people, you should get sober, you should get sober. If I could encourage someone to drink less, 
then that's great. But I, I don't want to start getting into the world yeah. of you need to stop drinking because I just, it's, it's not for me to say. I went on my own little journey. I'm really enjoying it. I'm delighted that my mum's has also given up. She's loving it. And it's been amazing. I can't yeah. believe the difference that I feel from not drinking. Yeah. I feel amazing. That's amazing, man. I love hearing that. And, and I love hearing that it's been great for you, right? I think yeah. that's, that's the point. Not everything has to be like, look what I did. You can do it too. It's kind sure. of like, no, this is just what's been great for me. Do you think it was partly that attitude for you at least in the beginning where it's like, well, look, I can drink. I drink a lot. It comes from my mum jeans and it doesn't affect me. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, wait a minute. It's more than that. Because I think there is that. Like I was like that as a young man as well. Like for me, it was it was easy to drink. I, I mm -hmm. didn't drink daily. For me, I drank a lot more socially. Sure. And I loved playing drinking games with my mates. And yeah, that, that absolutely. That was really what I enjoyed the most probably. And for me, when I quit, I could just quickly see how it just got me into doing things I would never do if I wasn't drunk. So for, sure. me, it was, for me, it was more that. But yeah, I wonder for you, did you find that it's there's a really fine line between like, oh, I know I can drink a lot. And then all of a sudden you're kind of addicted, not addicted beyond that. No, addicted, mate. Yeah. Like, I'm happy to say, like, yeah. I was definitely addicted to alcohol, not shying away from that at all. I think anyone that wakes up and has, a, not wakes up, anyone that has a beer every day is probably got a little bit of a problem. But yeah, you're right. I, I would drink and drink and drink and drink and then you would just reach that moment where you're like, wow, I shouldn't have had that last beer. And you yeah. wake up the next day and you have a terrible headache and you're suffering. I, I bought one of those rings that will tell you about your sleep. Yeah, aura ring. Yeah, and it was yeah, amazing because I couldn't yeah. sleep. I was like, why can't I sleep? I'm working 14 hours a day. I'm doing two hours in the gym. I'm eating really healthily and I can't sleep. What's wrong with me? I bought this ring and it was booze. It just, it was completely affecting my sleep. And since I've given it up, I can sleep anywhere, <laughs> you know? It's also interesting as well, going on nights out and having a great time as the sober person and then getting to that point in the night where people start, you know, spitting in your ear and everyone's like, I love you, man. I love you so much. And you're like, yeah, brilliant. I love you too. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to bed. <laughs> like, I love being that person now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love seeing my friends on the golf course at 8 a.m. in the morning feeling fresh and ready to go. Yeah. And they're sort of crawling out their car. <laughs> and So, yeah. So I, I, I'm over the moon to yeah. be sober. I love it. Yeah. For anyone who is listening right now and is going, Tom, I love that for you. I want to do it too. Like they're listening going, I'm having too much every day. I can notice some of those things, but I'm just stuck. And it's hard because we know that addiction's that way. We know that this is heavy. It's not easy. But if someone is watching going, Tom, tell me, like, what, what did you do to even get started? How did you have that courage to say, I'm going to do January, I'm going to stick mm -hmm. at it? Were there any moments where you actually fell back and then had to get back on the horse again? Like, just walk us through that a little bit more for anyone who is watching going, Tom, mate, I, I want to be in your position in like six months. I didn't fall back on it. I have done in the past. Like, I've had periods of my life where I'd given up drinking and then gone back to drinking. Um, but this time, I don't know. It was just different. I really worked to sort of change my mindset. I really asked myself, like, why do you drink? Why are you drinking? And a lot of the time, my answer would be to feel more comfortable in the social environment. Yeah. And I just put myself in those environments and just would force myself to be there. I'd force myself to hang out and, and go to a club or go to a bar, go to a dinner. Yeah, and so you weren't avoiding those places. I was at the beginning because I didn't feel like I could go and not have a drink because mm -hmm. of the stress of it. But then after a while, I sort of was like, mate, you've got to pull your socks up here and you can't just live in your house all the time. You've got to go out and enjoy yourself. And, and if you're only enjoying yourself because you're drinking, then you really do have a problem. But I just changed my mindset. I just, I found really good replacements, things that I could sort of attribute to having a beer. I often found with me, most of it is just the ritual of cracking something open 
and sharing it with friends and drinking it, whether it's sparkling water or a beer, I now can't, I don't associate like, I don't see a difference. Yeah. But I think it's different for everyone. Yeah. I had a great support system. Jack is one of my best mates and we travel all over the world. He doesn't drink and doing it with him was, was a really helpful experience for me. My brother is always on the road with me. He was very supportive. And yeah, I just really set my mind yeah. to it. I was like, I really want to do this. I want to prove to myself I can do it. Yeah. And then once I'd felt the health benefits and started really feeling like my full self, yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is this is the best. But do you not drink? I haven't drank for 17 years. No way. Yeah. Congratulations. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, I feel amazing. Yeah. It was just, it's incredible. Wow. It's like one of the best feelings in the world. And it's my my biggest like worry when I was about to quit was like, how am I going to hang out with my mates? That was like, my, that was biggest, my worry. biggest worry. Yeah. I was like, my mates knew me as the guy who was like first to the game, last sure. to get out. Like, that was me, right? <laughs> you know, the clown when I got drunk, like yeah. life of the party, kind of like that kind of guy. And then all of a sudden I, I decided I wasn't going to drink anymore. I was like, crap, am I going to fit in? And then I remember I went into the corporate world for a bit and I didn't drink. And I was like, God, am I going to miss out on like opportunities and sure. networking? Like, you know, all the guys afterwards are like going to get drinks and I'm like, I'll come, but I'll have a water or I'll have a soda, whatever it is. Sure. And what was really interesting for me is not relying on drinking made me rely on qualities and skills I had sure. that were actually better. Yeah. So now that I couldn't drink as an excuse to hang with the lads, I was bringing out parts of my personality that I probably would have just hidden away suppressed. or ignored. Yeah, totally. suppressed. And all of a sudden you were actually getting respected and liked for who you were right. rather than the person who you were when you were drunk. Sure. And, and actually that worked in the workplace and there was no one at the workplace going, oh, Jay doesn't drink, so he's not getting promoted. Right. It wasn't like that. People were like, oh yeah, I really like hanging out with Jay or he's, he's a really good guy or whatever it may be. And I was still getting the same opportunities and I was yeah. still getting promoted at work and whatever it was. And I think that's why I'd like to remind people that don't feel like your career or your work is going to suffer. Even for you, like you've, I'm sure as a, you know, with your career path, you have to be at parties, you have to be at events. Of course. And the fact that you're able to do that now without having alcohol and you don't, it doesn't sound like it's negatively impacting your career. If anything, it's the opposite. Mate, I honestly cannot believe like the amount of times I've sat down with an actor that I've really admired or sat down with a producer or director and been like, oh, you know, well, I don't drink anymore. And they go, oh, I don't drink 10 years. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God. And I've had so many insightful conversations with people like yourself where you've heard their story, their reason for giving up, and there is a wonderful community of people and I love it. I love being a part of that community. I'm really proud to be a part of it. I hope that, you know, I can meet other people and chat to them about it because it's really nice. It's yeah. lovely to be like, let's go get a lime soda <laughs> together, you know? Yeah, let's get a juice. Uh, yeah. Let's get a smoothie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is true. It's true. And it's really interesting because they, I can't remember. I, I'm trying to remember. There was this blog that came out years ago. I can't even remember it now. And there was this girl on Instagram who was getting a lot of likes and a lot of comments and a lot of attention. And one day she just disappeared. Like she stopped posting and everyone's just like, all the comments were like, where are you? What happened? Are you okay? Like what happened to you? You know, everyone was frantic trying to figure out what happened to her because they loved her. They were following her and all the rest of it. And what they didn't know is that it was built by a team that was trying to show that what people didn't notice is that in every picture she posted, she was drinking. And it was a made up, it was almost like original AI wow. that was made up to prove the point that you can love someone and you can think you're really close to them and you, you can think their lifestyle looks amazing, but actually they've got a drink in every picture they post and you didn't realize they had an alcohol problem. So there was no real person who died. But the point was that this, your friends could be struggling even when they're posting these beautiful lifestyle pictures 
but are you aware? Wow. And are you conscious of how much it affects you? And I can't, can't remember who built that page. Well, that, that, I think that's one of the problems with alcohol is that if you came out with alcohol right now, if alcohol wasn't a thing and you like, I've invented this drink that is going to make you like either really happy or really aggressive or really stupid and we're going to just sell it to the masses, people would be like, nah, mate, keep your funky juice. Like, we don't want that. That sounds terrible. And it's one of those things, because it is so socially acceptable, the, the addiction side of it, the bad sides of it, really do fly under the radar. Yeah. And that's really interesting. I'll tell you something I do love about being a non-drinker. I love being the designated driver. Yeah. <laughs> I love being that person that makes sure that everyone gets home. I don't know. I just, that, I like being a dependable person. I, I think I'm quite dependable. Yeah, and I really yeah. like that, that um, thing. And I saw this crazy YouTube video once. This was years ago of a guy that, went to a bar, he got drunk and he drove home and he crashed his car. And I don't know if this is real, it could have been fake, but it's really impactful. Basically what his friend had done was set up the room as if he had been in a coma for like 10 years. And his friend wakes up hours after the crash and his friend is there and he had all like old makeup on to make him look older. And now I'm thinking about it, there's no way this could have been real because how would they have been able to pull that off? But he basically is saying to him, like, you've been asleep for 10 years. Everyone's missed you. Like, we can't believe you're awake. This is amazing. And it shows, like, how a stupid decision like driving drunk can yeah. affect the future of your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do love being the designated driver. That yeah. is something I enjoy. Seeing my friends have a good time and being like, don't worry, Tom will take you home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I used to love being the designated driver and, until I realized that next girlfriend just had me do that because I was the one who didn't do yeah, so that. Yeah, right. That wasn't a fun designated driver job. <laughs> yeah. But I've always been that guy since, because, so I, I lived as a monk for three years. Yeah, amazing. And uh, when I came back after that, obviously I never went back to drinking alcohol and everything. And so, but I went back into the workplace and I remember everyone would always open up to me and give me advice, but it's what you're saying. When someone was drunk, they tell me their whole life story. Yeah. Next day they'd wake up and go, Jay, you'd actually remember what I said, right? Like, I remember everything. everything. They're like, please don't tell anyone. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. You know, and I loved, I loved that part where I was like, I was able to be there for people. Totally. Just hear their stories. A hundred percent. And someone that had context the next day, because if they told someone else who was drunk, you'd both not remember and then it'd be gone. No, I, I think the benefits that you just pointed out of good sleep, good health, yeah. Great mental clarity. Totally. They're, they're huge. But there's a couple of things I want to point out for everyone who's listening, just as takeaways, because Tom makes it so seamless when you're talking about it. It's really beautiful as well. But one of the things you mentioned was finding alternatives. Mm -hmm. And during my monk life, we always talked about how there was, there was something that we called the higher taste. And it was saying you can never give up a lower taste unless you add a higher taste. Sure. And so there has to be a switch. There has to be a replacement. It has to be a replacement. 100%. And so the fact that you found alternatives, I think that's half the battle. Sure. Because most of us are trying to take something out of our lives and then you're just trying to fill it. Yeah. And then you have to go back to what you had before because you're not finding a replacement. So that was beautiful. And the second thing you said, which I loved, which was having this conversation and dialogue with other people, someone who's one year ahead of you, someone who's 10 years ahead, someone sure. who's 20 years ahead, who's gone through that process and they're open and honest and vulnerable about, well, you know, what? I did have a weak moment or, you know what, this was really tough for me. And I think having those communities where you can talk about these things makes a massive difference. So if anyone's struggling, I hope that those two things can kind of, you know, give you the support you need. And again, it goes back to the message of, of the show is that like, you should ask for help yeah. and you should feel empowered to do so. Yeah. But tell me about your monk life. Like that must've <laughs> been amazing. It was special. I've always been so tempted to go away and do one of those retreats where, you know, you go to somewhere like India and you go to those places where you don't speak for a month or something like that. Like that must've just been the most enlightening experience. Mate, now that you've said that, 
when you when you want to go, I'm going to take you. Please, yeah, you let I me know would when. Absolutely yeah. love to go. I met a guy. I was on holiday earlier this year, and he had just got back from a retreat. He did two weeks where he didn't make a sound mm -hmm. and was just explaining to me how eye-opening it was. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, to me, it was one of the best experiences of my life because even the stuff that I did then, I was 22 years old when I did it. Even the stuff that I did then, I don't even know if I'd be able to do it anymore now, but right. there was such a like energy you had as a 22-year-old sure. where you just open to any experience and wanting to try it all out. Amazing. And I think for me, it was because, and it comes back to the people that have done things. When I was 18 was when I first met a monk. I, I never really knew what monks did or, sure, right. or any of their practices, but I met a monk who I write about in my book who just blew my mind because he was the first person I met that I felt was at ease with himself. And when I was 18, I'd met people who were like rich and famous and, you know, beautiful and powerful and all this type of stuff. But I don't think I'd met anyone who was truly happy and sure. content with themselves. Not happy like, oh, I'm so happy, life's amazing. Right. I mean more like happy with who at they, peace with at who peace they are. who they were. Yeah, 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 totally. And for some reason at 18, that kind of like was an arrow straight to my heart where I was like, that's, that's real, like I want wow. that. And it just, it's so hard to explain because everyone's like, well, how did you know that at 18? And I was like, I don't know. It must've been how powerful he was. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you wake up when, when the sun's out and the light's out and you just wake up because you feel that energy. And I felt it through him. And then I, I went to university and I'd talk to him and I'd meet him in the summers and Christmases. But I just decided, I was like, I want to do this because I'd met someone who I felt had emotional and mental mastery in a way that I'd never seen before. Wow. And so when I went out there and whether it was the meditation training or whether it was the simplicity training of the lifestyle or whether it was the, the, the teachings and the values that you had to live by, I just got so, I got so much from it that I honestly believe that anything that I'm good at doing today is because of what I learned during that time. Yeah, and course, so anything I'm good at today is because of that. Do you think that you found what he had? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. And I would say that... Or has. He's yeah, still has, with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I still see him every year. Amazing. And, and he still has it. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's like swag. Like it doesn't yeah, go yeah, away. Yeah. He still has it. And yeah, definitely, definitely. I got a glimpse into it. Obviously, he's been doing it for, you know, nearly 30 years. And yeah, wow. I only did it for three. But you still get to a, a glimpse of it and sure. you get an experience of it. So you know that it exists. Right, right, and right. I think that's half the battle too. Like even with your sobriety, it's like, you just need to know it exists. Totally. And then you're like, wow, there's this other side. hundred percent. And even though it's a challenge and even though I'm still trying to be more mindful every day and I'm still mm -hmm. working on myself because it's- Of uh, course. It's an I, endless, I know it. yeah, it's endless. ongoing thing. Yeah, yeah. I know. It, I know. It. And, and I take a lot of friends and, and people I know on retreats there because just a couple of years ago, I took a, uh, someone that I love to one of the caves in Rishikesh. So one of the things I love about caves is that they're equally dark and silent. Yeah. So wow. it's almost like the first time, like we could be silent in this room and it would be silent, but the silence of a cave yeah, is yeah, just yeah. Different. different level. Yeah. And so when you go in there and you can't see anything either, so you wow. can't even see yourself. So you're so deep into the cave that there's no light from the mouth of the cave. There's, there's no light from the mouth of the cave. Oh, I and, don't know and, about that, mate. That would really stress me out. <laughs> No, you hold hands. No, no, right, no, no, right, no, yeah. You don't hold hands. But it, it's just, it's one of those experiences that you actually get to experience real stillness and wow. real silence and real, real disconnection sure. from everything around you. And then you can actually listen to yourself. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I would love to do something like that. Something that I find myself doing a lot is if I see a beautiful landscape or something, 
I will try and see if I can find an angle of it where there's nothing man-made mm. in the view. Because you know what it. it's like? Like you see a beautiful hill or something and there's a telephone pole <laughs> in the middle of it or a lamppost or something. So doing something like that where there is nothing but just mother nature and yeah. the silence and being with yourself. I'm obsessed with nature. It's yeah. like one of my biggest yeah. passions. I'm absolutely like this new Our Planet show has just come out. One sitting, I've done the whole thing. <laughs> um, so I would love to do something like that. Yeah. So next time you go in, yeah, let yeah, me know. We'll I'll come with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. No, where's where's the place? I love nature too. I, I just took my, me and my wife just went to Bali. Oh, I love and Bali. Yeah, and it was unbelievable. We went white water rafting and it nice. almost felt like Jurassic Park. I was just waiting for a dinosaur head to mm -hmm. pop out. And it was just beautiful. It was so lush. It was so natural. There were these Bali. waterfalls everywhere. And another place that I've loved nature-wise, India, of course, we, we mentioned, but Iceland. I'd love to, to go, I got to, to, Iceland. go to Iceland a few years ago and my friend was filming a, uh, a documentary out there. Mm -hmm. And so I got to experience it with the documentary travelers and we went to a real glacier and we went to, Amazing. you know, and, and it was incredible to just, it was the first time I felt like I'd landed on another planet. Yeah. 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 It was just, I literally, I was like, this looks like nothing I've ever seen before in my life. Like I'm on another, like I, I could have, yeah. I could have gone into outer space and landed on another. There's planet. a reason why every single space film, Iceland is the first on the list for locations. <laughs> oh, is that, is, oh my I God. didn't know that. Yeah. Every, I'm thinking Interstellar probably shot yes, in, in Iceland. I went to the glacier. They saw, right. yeah, so yeah. I'm sure all yeah. of those films, yeah. you know, cause you could do, you, you could do Mars, you could do Venus all in, you know, in Iceland. I would love to go. I don't know. We were thinking about doing some climbing and I'm not sure about how I feel about glaciers and walking across them and just falling and never being found. Yeah, we, we walked across them and obviously there were teams there. Sure. With, but, and then they had an expert and they went down into the glacier, like they went into one. Like, and, it was, and it was really scary because while we were walking on the glacier, we've got the, I forgot what those little boots are called, the ones with the kind of like... The little prongs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But I forgot what they're called. But anyway, we had those on and... Uh, crampons. 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 Okay, yeah. crampons. Thank there you for go. that, Jack. And so we're wearing these crampons and and literally it was like three steps further and you you would have fallen and you don't see it. And you would never be and found. You would never, you'd never be found. Ever. And you'd never know. And it would be like that movie, what's it, 126 hours? Yeah. Like I had to saw off his own arm. To... 126 hours, mate, in 10 minutes, the ice yeah. would just... <laughs> yeah, no, I... That, you, that's a bit too far for me. You, well, yeah. if you went with a group of, you know, experts and all the rest of it. I think yeah, but be... you've seen the documentary. Sometimes the experts go out and it's yeah. a one-way one story. They yeah. don't ever come back, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you got you got to be careful. I yeah. agree. I agree. I'll show you some videos later though because it was pretty... I'd love to. Yeah, yeah please. It was, it was pretty spectacular. It was, it was really amazing. No, I, I love I love that with your journey with Sobright. And, and again, the other thing, we were talking about this earlier, going back to it, was you decided to take a break from acting yeah because you were doing this role it was, it was really tough and challenging mm -hmm. and and you're like you need some time and again you were saying that that was misconstrued and i just before we dive into why you needed to take a break and and what was challenging about it i just wanted to just if you wanted to give context to that and you don't have to but if you wanted sure. to just to clarify what you meant and what was going on there it's only a break from acting because i'm an actor yeah it's not like the acting itself I just have been so lucky that in my life, I've been working so much. I just wanted to take a break. I just wanted to be in one place for a while. I wanted to be with my friends, be with my family, move into my house. So it wasn't necessarily, oh my God, I need to have a break from acting because it's too much. Yeah. I just needed to have a break from traveling and, and working. And, and also I've done so much of my growing up on the road 
I needed to do a lot of growing up at home, paying my water bill, paying my council tax and sorting out my bins and all that sort of stuff that they don't teach you at school, which I think there should be a lesson. I think there should be a lesson at school that's called life, which <laughs> yeah. is like laundry, basic cooking, like... I didn't realise you have to pay for your water. I just thought that was a luxury of living in England. That yeah, the yeah. water comes out the sky and then it comes out your tap. <laughs> I was so behind on my water bill, I didn't realise. <laughs> I'm up to date now, don't yeah. worry. So yeah, I just wanted to take this break. And it's a shame, again, talking about the press and how they can spin things. It's a shame that this year off has come after this incredibly hard job and that they kind of ran with this idea that Yes, the show did break me, and yes, it was difficult, but I could have gone back to work. I was always planning on taking this break after this job, so thank you for giving me the time to sort of clarify that. I am loving having time off, and going back to work is something that isn't really on my radar yet. I'm just loving being with my family and my friends and, and enjoying, you know, the fruits of my labor a little yeah. bit and, yeah. and traveling and seeing the world. Because, you know, we get to see the world for work, but it's different. Yeah. You know, going off of your own accord and, and, and seeing these places and meeting people is, is what I love. I'm very social, which is one of the things I found so difficult about giving up alcohol is because I was like, that's my key to my social life. And then I realized I was like, no, you're just actually naturally a really social person. The alcohol is a, just an additive to that. Yeah. So get rid of it. So, yeah. So my, my, my year off has been amazing. I'm loving it. I'm six months, seven months into it now. I have a job to go to, but, you know, obviously we're going through this writer's strike right now. Yep. We're unsure as to where we are. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, the writers can make a deal and mm. will be looked after as they should be because it'd be great to get back to work, but I'm in no rush. Yeah. I'm really loving yeah. some time at home. Yeah, because how old are you now? 27. Yeah, and so if you've been working since you were nine or at least you right. know, later on into your teens, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people forget that. And I, I coach personally a lot of musicians and who go on tour a lot. Sure. And I just finished a 40-city world tour for my second book. And we did like 40 cities, maybe in like 75, 80 days, maybe. Like it was intense. Wow. And we went all over the world. So we did like God, 15. I've never done anything like that. Yeah, like, it was intense. did 15 cities in the US and then 25 cities around the world. Wow. And so we did everyone from Paris, Amsterdam, Berlin, Melbourne. We did three shows at the Sydney Opera House, Brisbane, did Singapore, did five shows in India, did Dubai. Wow. Like it was, it was, and it was amazing. I had one of the best experiences of my life. At the same time, I was reflecting on my music clients who have to do 100, 150 shows. Mm -hmm. A lot of them pull out of doing their tours. A lot of them announce, kind of like you're saying, I took a break. Sure. A lot of them will announce and say, you know what, guys, I can't, I can't, I can't finish. I can't yeah. do it anymore. And it's really interesting because I messaged some of them straight away saying, I always could understand why you needed that. Sure. Now I actually have actual empathy for you. 100%. Because now I'm on the road and I can see how displacing it is. Sure. And I'm older and I have a certain set of skills that help me with that mm -hmm. based on my monk life and all the rest of it. But I, got, I can imagine if you've been touring since you were 15 years old, which is what a lot of these artists have done. Yeah. You've, like you just said, you grow up on the road. Sure. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, who am I? And who are my friends? And, and what is my life? And now totally. everyone that I pay is my friend. And that's the only friends I have. And totally. I, you know, and so it's really interesting how when you get a little glimpse into someone's life and then on my, the last show I had was in Barcelona. I and then Barcelona. Yeah, it was amazing. And the night before my last show, Live Nation, who was doing my show there, they also do... Uh, Coldplay's tour and they were like do you want to come to Cold watch Coldplay I was like right. I'd love yeah, to watch Coldplay so I went the night before to watch Coldplay it was unbelievable they did four sold out shows of 65,000 people each night in Barcelona 
And Chris, I went towards the fourth night and Chris Martin and the crew were just unbelievable. Yeah. And then I found out it was the 89th show and I was thinking, gosh, like it is so hard. Like it's just so hard and all their families are with them and traveling with them and all the rest of it. And so I want to touch on that with you as well, that walk us through, because I've talked about this with actors offline and I don't think I've fully done it online. And so if you're willing to go there, I'd really appreciate it. Sure. When you're playing a role, I think as a viewer, we massively underestimate how hard acting is, especially when the role is the kind of role that you're playing in the crowded room. Yeah. I I think we just underestimate as a viewer, and I'm fortunate enough to know enough actors offline where I've had these conversations before, whether, whether it's people who do method acting or whether it's people who you know, really try and get into character. Like you always hear about the stories of like how Jared Leto, when he was becoming the Joker, was sending people rats and That's human terrifying. feces in their mail. Like literally I'll live. tell you what, if you send me human feces in my mail, there'd be trouble. <laughs> I wouldn't be putting up with that. Yeah, you, you and Jared Leto in a boxing match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there'd be a boxing <laughs> movie then. Yeah, but, but you know, that idea of like, I think, I think as viewers, we don't, re- it's what I'm saying is like, when I went on tour, I was like, I get it. I yeah. get it now. As viewers, we don't get it because we don't really hear about the deep process that actors go through of getting into a role, playing someone with multiple personalities. Like, you know, that, I don't know. Is that, is that tough or is, it actually, or is that not, am I getting it wrong? And that's not actually the tough part. You're definitely not getting it wrong. I think it's just different. It's case yeah. by case, you know. There are people like Jared who, who dive into their roles and they do things like sending people dead rats and stuff like that. And they think that that's what they need to do. I've always been really good at separating my onset emotions from my personal life emotions. As a young kid, I used to really heavily rely on my personal emotions to get them to come across on screen. And I just found it really unhealthy. I just found that like the line between my life and my character's life would be blurred. And ultimately, at the end of the experience of making the film, I would be a very different person, but not because of my experiences as Tom, it would be because of my experiences as my character. So I decided very early on to find certain techniques and certain ways to get into those emotions from a sort of technical point of view. I never sit on set and think about my my mum getting sick or my or never speaking to my brothers again or something like that. I never blur the lines with my personal life and my work life. I always leave work at work. There are jobs like the crowded room that are particularly taxing, getting to those emotions on a daily basis is really difficult and really tiring. But, you know, it's probably somewhat like Coldplay on that 89th show. You just dig your heels in, you realize you've got a job to do. We're all wonderfully well paid. There are people that work far harder for far less. I recognize how lucky I am. So I'm like, if I need to cry today and tomorrow and the next 50 days in a row, I'll do so. Yes, it's difficult, but I think your question... I'm probably the worst person to ask that because <laughs> I think I have like a really healthy outlook on how I achieve my emotions on set. Yeah. Um, but I have worked with people that shut their bedroom door and just dive into the character and are pouring through the script every night and and are in character all the time. And I admire them. I don't necessarily think it's the healthiest way to go about it. But yeah, I've always been really strict on myself to leave my work at work. Obviously, I come home and read the script and do all of my prep work, but I'm not, I'm leaving the character at work because yeah. it's too, it's too much, especially yeah. when you're playing a character like, like Danny from The Crowded Room, like you can't bring that into your personal life. It's tough. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. 
Its wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. Its doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. Its in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Atna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Life can be a wild ride and sometimes our gut gets thrown off track. So that butterfly in your stomach, it's probably not from excitement. It's more likely from stress or certain food choices you had for breakfast. And Ritual can help you get things back on track. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Every morning, I start my day with Symbiotic Plus. It's now an essential part of my daily routine. With its blend of prebiotics, postbiotics, and all that good stuff, I'm giving my gut the love it needs to tackle whatever comes its way throughout the day. There's no shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Shetty. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Shetty for 25% off. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Whenever I travel, I feel like I become a new person. Like that time I explored the bustling streets of New York, I felt like I became Curious Jay immersing myself in the vibrant culture and sampling exotic street food. And then there was that trip to the mountains where I transformed into Adventurous Jay, conquering hiking trails and embracing the breathtaking scenery. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to for all my adventures. Whether I'm exploring the bustling streets of New York or venturing into the serene mountains, Booking.com has a wide variety of options, offering accommodations all across the US and all around the world that suit every kind of traveler. So when you're ready to plan your next trip and discover new sides of yourself, remember to book with Booking.com. Whether you're craving adventure in a cabin, a bit of luxury in a fancy hotel, some quality family time in a vacation rental, or just some chill vibes at a beachside resort, Booking.com has you covered. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com, Booking.yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, but I'm actually glad I asked it to you either way, because what I'm actually hearing is you did it early on and you saw it wasn't healthy. Sure. And so you actually found another way. Yeah. And and it's really interesting because a lot of people may not have found another way or that is their way and that is their method. Mm -hmm. And so it actually is interesting hearing it from your perspective because you're actually saying, yeah, I could have gone down that road. Sure. I could see the dangers with it. Right. And- and obviously it depends on the roles too. Sorry, you were going to say... No, it's yeah. just, it's my acting coach. Ben yeah. Perkins was my acting coach on my first film. And that film's really, really emotionally intense. And we started off by doing things like, can you imagine, you know, your mum passing? Or can you imagine things like that? And I would cry instantly. Yeah. And he was the one that actually recognised at a point, this is too much for this young kid to kind of take. So he devised these exercises where him and I could kind of have 
these fake arguments where I was as a 12 year old, oh, maybe I was older than that, 13 year old could recognize that they were exercises and I would allow the emotion to kind of come from these kind of acting techniques, let's call it. So it was actually Ben that was the one that switched my, my mindset. I can't take credit for that. Yeah. So you, you live in LA. Yeah. So I moved to LA five years ago Yeah. and I moved to the States seven years ago. So I was in New York for the first two. Whereabouts so in New York were you? I was on 23rd Street near Flatiron. Okay, yeah. nice. So yeah, it was good in in Manhattan and uh, moved with my wife. We've Amazing. been married for seven years, Amazing. together for 10. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, it was, it's just been really interesting, mate. It's like, did you ever end up moving? Did you ever live in LA or at all or in the US at all? Or have you always been in London? Sort of what we were talking about earlier. I've kind of lived all over the place. Yeah, I've yeah, lived yeah. in LA. I've lived in yeah. New York. I've lived in Atlanta. You yeah. know, I've lived in Cleveland, which yeah. was amazing. Oh, wow. yeah. um, so I... I really like spending time in the States. Yeah. We just obviously crowded a room. We did a year in New York. Yeah. We moved to Tribeca. We started off in Midtown. And Midtown for me was a bit of a nightmare. It's where all the schools are. So yeah. I'd come home from work and I'd come outside <laughs> and it's like all the biggest Spider-Man fans you've yeah. ever seen in your life. Like, oh my God! Yeah, it's like the worst planning. Yeah, it was a nightmare. All, all so the kids, yeah. We moved out to Tribeca to this amazing apartment, which was really lovely. We were very yeah. lucky to be down there. But yeah. um, but where, so how do you find LA? I, so, you know what, it's really interesting because when I, I moved to New York first yeah, and I loved it. I found New York to be just a bigger, crazier London, sure. uh, a bit more intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I love London. I'm a, I'm a London boy through and through. I went to university here. My, my family's still here. Mm -hmm. My wife's family's here. Everyone's Amazing. Here. And so, but, but I enjoyed New York. My wife didn't love New York. And also at the same time, I, I started spending more time in LA for work and my wife and I just like fell more in love with each other when we were there. And oh, so nice. that's what it was that drew us there. It wasn't really, everyone's always like, oh, was it career? And I was like, sure. to be honest, we went there for a month for work and we rented an apartment because we we're going to be there for a month. Mm -hmm. And we're living together there and we just loved living with each other there. Home is where the heart is. Yeah, exactly. Right? And yeah. so we were like, all right, we love it here. Why don't we pack our bags and move across? And so Amazing. we went back to New York two months later. We moved over to LA. So it wasn't even, you know, and wow. now we've been there for five years. And the truth is that I, I was really intentional when I moved somewhere. So while I'm building my purpose and my work and my career, which I absolutely love what I get to do every day. And I, I, I could never have dreamed of doing what I do today. I'm super grateful but at the same time, I was really intentional about building community and family. Mm -hmm. And it was like an actual like thought process sure. where I was like, as well as you're always building the people you know at work, you're always building relationships, you're hiring employees and team members and everything. At the same time, I've got to think about actually making friendships because yeah. in London, I've got all my mates. So I've got the, my best man at my wedding. I've been mates with Raj for like 17 years. Like I've got people around me, but in LA, I don't have that. I don't have any right. family, any friends. I don't know anyone. And so I've really made an effort. And now after five years, I can honestly say, you know, obviously not in a wonderful way, but the pandemic did help deepen some of those friendships mm -hmm. because I was stuck with those people. Sure. So I only could go deeper. I made some really good friends. Nice. And so I feel happy there and I feel really connected to my purpose there. And at the same time, I love coming back to London right. and hanging out with my mates. And so I've, and me and my wife made a decision when we moved that we would never say we lived anywhere. We would just be allowed to go wherever we wanted to go. So right. whenever my wife misses London, 
she's back on a flight to London. Great. She'll come live here for two months and come back whenever she wants. Amazing. And, and it's the same for me. And that kind of like not having a rule around, you know, obviously we're lucky to have that choice. That's an amazing ability. luxury to have. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And But yeah, I, I, I share the same kind of outlook on it. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't really say I live anywhere. I sort of live where the work is. And when I'm not working, I'm either here or in LA. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm so lucky to be able to sort of call the world my home. I just yeah. go wherever at the the wind takes me I guess. yeah yeah exactly um, but that's glorious man. yeah man yeah it's been good it's been good for me it's been good yeah. to me and and i think with, because of the work i do it very clearly lets people know whether i'd connect to them or not i feel like my work is so obviously one way sure that it's very easy because not everyone wants this in their life so it's kind of easy for people to be like you know i'm not going to make any effort with jay right, right, or right. i'm going to make lots of effort with jay and so it kind of makes it very easy because my work is me do you find because of what you do and your skill set and your experiences and your life as a monk that people unload on you a lot? Yes. <laughs> like, like you might meet a new person and they're sort of saying, well, I'm, I'm feeling this way and I, I would love to try and get to a place of enlightenment. Like that must happen to you a lot. Yes. Yeah. A lot. It can, it can happen at the train station. Right. It can happen on a plane. It can happen anywhere in the world. Yeah. And do you welcome those conversations? Do you like having those sorts of conversations? So I think... It depends where we are sure, and, and it depends who it is. And I always say to people as a disclaimer that I don't want to give you the belief that I can solve your life in 30 seconds. Yeah, right. Or that I could ever solve your life for you. Totally. Just to be really clear. that yeah. I'm, And I always say that to people because people are like, Jay, tell me what I need to do. And I'll be like, look, I just wanted to be fully aware that I'm happy to share some insights with you, but I don't have the power or gift or magical ability right, right, right. to transform your life. And nothing I can say in 30 seconds, I don't even want to take that responsibility on because we should really think about this. Like you should reflect on your life. Like, especially when people are making big decisions where it's like, Jay, should I break up? Should I move country? Should I do this? And I'm like, we're not solving this in 30 seconds. Yeah, like, yeah, please yeah, yeah. Don't. This is a bigger conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and I like people, that takes the pressure off me, but it also takes the pressure off them. Yeah. Because a lot, it's not even about me. This is about the fact that that person needs to make a really important decision. And they're putting all the pressure of their life on that moment. And actually I'm saying, well, let's just take it off. And here's a few things I want you to reflect and think about. Sure. And I know that will help you and you'll figure it out. And so, yeah, I, I welcome them because I appreciate that I don't feel that I'm the one holding space. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that I'm the one who has the power to hold space. I believe that the universe holds space. I believe that energetically that space totally, is held yeah. for others. And I don't feel I'm this powerful human being who's who's the one that everything rests on sure. and has the answer to everything. And I think right. that's what allows me to be liberated from it. Yeah, nice. Where I'm not like, I also don't put the pressure on myself going, God, I better say the most I, perfect thing to this. <laughs> I better change this person's <laughs> life. life. Yeah, and I can't. And I don't, and I, and I think once upon a time, I probably did feel that way. Like right. when, you're, when you're immature and you're an amateur in your work, you almost feel like you have to have all the answers. Sure. And now I'm like, you know what, I don't, and it's fine. And actually people really appreciate it mm -hmm. when you just chat to them and, yeah. you know, and so, yeah, and, and again, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to listen to someone when I can. Obviously, there's sometimes when I'm like rushing late for a plane or I'm trying to get into a car <laughs> I, or whatever yeah. and I can't, I can't do it. Sure. Uh, but I always stop and say hello, give of someone course. a hug and yeah, all the rest of, of it. Yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. but No, absolutely it yeah, does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess what's what you're saying about making decisions, something that I am constantly battling with myself is the inner battle between my gut and my brain. Mm. I know that sounds really weird. No, but like, it's real. I go with my gut a lot. I'm very, very, I think a lot of the decisions I make in life are very sort of instinctual. I don't like to be bombarded with 
evidence and facts and all that sort of stuff. I just like to feel a certain way about how I would like something to sort of transpire. It can be taking a film, accepting a script, doing a business deal, buying a house. Like it's all sorts of different things. Through your monk life, did you feel like you would rely on your kind of inner instincts rather than like getting the evidence of this is going to make you this much money or if you do that these are the risks how do you where do you stand with that sort of thing yeah, that's the definitely. most poorly worded question no, but you know what i mean no 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 mate mate i think both i, I think this has been such a conversation that mm. that is what a question sounds like in a conversation and right. and i i think i've asked you fairly poorly worded questions today as well but i think that's what real <laughs> communication right, is chat. Right? yeah yeah rather fine. than like mate i've got question one like right. uh, but no I, I i think i get what you're saying and if i go on the wrong track let me know but Living as a monk, you're trained to understand that everything exists in a certain mode. And so I'll explain what that means. And okay. so in the monk philosophy, there are three modes. And the modes are the mode of ignorance, the mode of passion, and the mode of goodness. And it's said that every decision, every thought, every action, every intention, every relationship can be in the mode of ignorance, mode of passion, or mode of goodness. And the mode of ignorance is where your relationships or any act is based on insecurity or fear. So okay. when you're doing something out of fear or you're doing it out of insecurity or you're doing it out of pressure, that's considered the mode of ignorance. And energetically, we all feel that, right? Yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know whether you're... I would know whether you were being forced to do this interview today sure. out, of, out of some sort of fear or some sort of right. whatever it may be. The mode of passion is where you're doing something because you want a certain result. You're doing it just for the reward. You're doing it just because it's going to get you what you want. It's going to get you to the goal. Okay. And so that's considered the mode of passion. And again, energetically, you can tell that when someone has an agenda or right, right, someone right. wants something out of you. I've come here to get my point across on something. Or, right. Totally. And then finally, the mode of goodness is the energy of like, I feel really at peace. I feel really at ease. This feels aligned with my values. And therefore, it feels like the right decision. And so we were trained to sense energetically whether things felt like the mode of ignorance, mode of passion, or mode of goodness, which was a really helpful framework because sometimes things were really hard to just sense without knowing where it sat in terms of a characteristic. That's so interesting. And so that was really, really helpful at the time. And so I find that I'm, I'm the same as you where I make decisions energetically. Yeah. But I think having moved into the real world again, I felt that I had to start getting used to understanding other elements. Kind of what you mentioned earlier, which I loved, which was like, I wish they had a class on life at school because it's like you haven't paid your bill and, yeah. you know, you you know, there's football players not paying their taxes or whatever it may right. be. And like, uh, that may be for different reasons. But anyway, you get yeah, the point yeah, yeah. That, that there's some things that you just don't know. And so what I've started to do, and I've, I've said this a few times, and that's why it's a little formula that I use. When I sit down with someone whether it's business, whether it's relationships, whether it's work, even whether it's this, the first thing is always energy. That's my sure. first gate that I, that I want to get through. And if I don't feel energetically aligned with someone, then already there's no future here. Like it's not going really? anywhere. Wow. And then the next thing I look at is strategically, if it's business, so if it's personal, it's only energy. But if it's business, I look at, well, I like this person energetically. Do I think they're strategically aligned with where this has right. to go? Like, do I think they can actually implement this? Do I believe? Because a lot of people have great energy, but sure, then sure, sure. they don't know how to implement anything. Yeah. 
And then finally, I look at, well, does the money align? Does the monetary value align with the energy and strategy? Sure. That's been my business version of what I loved, learned as a monk. So what you're saying then, that is a combination of both. Correct. Allowing that like your gut, your energy to kind of allow yourself to pursue further the opportunity. Yeah. And then you take a sort of mental look at it to be like, I'm accepting the opportunity from an emotional point of view. Now I need to see if it makes sort of logical sense. Correct. And if it doesn't, then we're going to stop there again. Right, right, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So I've, I've found that more useful for me mm -hmm. because I found that energetically, I, I can get excited about a lot of stuff. Yeah. I'm the same. Yeah. Like, and, and I'm, and I'm that kind of person. And again, I never want to block that. Sure. At the same time, I think we have to become more selective with our opportunities and know when to say no and mm -hmm. know how to manage stuff. And that's at least helped me. Sure. So again, I'm not saying anyone has to live like that. I'm just, that's no, what, that's what it's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, yeah. I am very much like go off my gut. Yeah. I tell you what, my mum is an unbelievable judge of character. Wow. And I think she might have without knowing what you're talking about, where she can pick up on people's energies. Yeah. Because we could meet a new person as a family. We've met this new person. The three of us could love this new person and another three could not like this new person. And my mom will be like, no, that wow. no, don't like that person. And then within six months, all of us are like, do you remember that person that we were really good <laughs> friends with for a little bit? She's really got a keen eye for yeah. people that we would get along with. Yeah, yeah she's amazing, amazing like that. Mums are like that. Now that you say that, all my mates who let me down when I was a teenager, I my bet mom your mum could have pointed it out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Every time. And I was like, Mum, no, they're my best friend. I'm yeah. never going to leave them. They're like a brother to me. Yeah. And then, like, seven months later, the person stabbed you in the back. And then you're like, oh, mum, yeah. like, you know. But the good yeah. thing about mums is they wouldn't judge you for it. Yeah, they you know, they're yeah. like, look, I told you, but you have to make your own mistakes. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. But. I, it's interesting that you've been able to hold on to that. And I love that. Do you feel like you were asking me about moving to LA and I, I think what have you felt? And there's a part of you that's obviously wanting to be back in Kingston, be back to who sure. you are. Have you felt that there's been parts of yourself that have been challenged? I don't feel sitting with you today that, you know, I, I don't know you before. I don't know you after. I've only met you today. So I, I can't judge who you are or what you enjoy. I, all I can say is that when I'm sitting with you today, I feel like I'm sitting with an authentic individual and your energy comes across very easily. Thank you. Do you feel like you've had to hold on to that at times with opportunities, challenges, the industry, or, or is that all stuff that we kind of make up in our heads and it's actually just be yourself and you're fine? I really don't know the answer to that question. I, I, I've definitely walked away from a lot. Mm. And I think had I not walked away from certain situations, let's just put it at that, I would be a very different person today. Mm. I've been really good at keeping in touch with my friends, keeping my family close, listening to the lessons, not getting caught up in the Hollywood hype. Like I really am a massive fan of making movies, but I really do not like Hollywood. It is not for me. The, the business really scares me. I understand that I'm a part of that business and I enjoy my kind of interactions with it. But that said, I am always looking for ways to kind of remove myself from it, to kind of just live as normal a life as possible. Today, doing this is a very rare thing for me to do. Like in London, to come in and speak to someone about my life is something I would not typically do. But because I'm a fan of yours and I was keen to kind of hear what you had to say and, and chat to you today, I felt like this would be a safe space for me to do that. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it has been an ongoing thought, which is don't lose yourself. I've seen so many people come before me and lose themselves. And I've had friends that I've grown up with that aren't friends of mine anymore because they've lost themselves to this business. 
And I just am really, really keen to focus on what makes me happy, which is my family. It's my friends. It's my carpentry, my golf, um, the charity that my mum runs. Like that is the stuff that makes me really happy. And that's the stuff that I should protect. My relationship is the thing that I keep most sacred. I don't talk about it. I try my best to keep it as private as possible. We both feel very strongly that that is the healthiest way for us to to move on as a couple. Um, so I do try to keep as removed from it as possible. Like you'll never see me at an award show that I don't have to be at. I'm never going to a red carpet event that I'm not in the film of, you know. I don't want the attention when I don't need it. I love the spotlight. I love the pressure that comes with it. Just watch that tennis documentary, Breaking Point. I haven't seen it yet. I you got to see it. It's amazing. I never realized how brutal tennis was. I've always been a huge tennis lover. I am now absolutely in awe of what those athletes go through. But there's a quote from Billie Jean King that's on the um, stand at her stadium in New York that says, pressure is a privilege. Mm. And that is so true. Like, oh my God, feeling pressure on a daily basis in the capacity that we feel is such a privilege. I love feeling pressure. I feel like I thrive under pressure. The best golf I've ever played in my life is when there are cameras around and people are watching. I just think that that is a real amazing thing to be able to experience. So I enjoy it while I can. And then when it becomes a bit much, I kind of become a bit of a recluse and I disappear. I come back to Kingston. I play golf. I play tennis. I hang out with my friends and my family, do the pub quiz and, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it is something I actively try to do. As I get older, it only gets easier. Yeah, yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, and and I, I can I can relate to that. Where in in my in my small way or in my world, where a lot of my friends think like I'm in LA, like always at events, always at parties. I'm I'm not. I'm like in bed by nine thirty p.m. Right, and I only live there because it works for me in in the world that I do and what I do and sure and and I enjoy living in LA. But it's it. I don't live there for Hollywood, and I think that's often the perception as well. Where mm. everyone's like, oh, you're all Hollywood now, and I'm like, well, no, not really. Like I I don't really. I don't really go to all the events and sure. gatherings and stuff unless I need to be there or, sure. or I'm connected to a project. So, so I relate to that. What, what you mentioned a few things there, but if I had to ask you as Tom, when do you feel most yourself? Like, when do you feel most connected or, and what are you trying to reconnect to if you're like, well, I know what it is, but I'm still figuring it out again. I think when I feel most myself is to do with my relationships. I'm going to leave that and not talk about that. Absolutely. But I think the other thing, and this is such a stupid thing, but it's when I'm playing good golf. Like there's something about how go golf is the most humbling sport in the world. It doesn't I matter agree. who you are. It <laughs> doesn't matter how much money you've got, how successful you are. Golf will batter you no matter who you are. And I love, that's what I love about it. You know, you, it's such a leveling sport. I love going to a golf course and meeting new people that I've never played with before. Playing around a golf. I struggle when I don't play badly. Like I've got a bit of a temper and like, you're supposed to have 14 clubs in your bag. I currently have nine and you can probably guess why. Um, but I, I just love being outside. I've always been an outdoorsy person. I love being on the golf course. I love my mates. They all love playing golf. There's just something about the challenge of shooting lower than your lowest score that really kind of takes my mind off of the work. The interesting thing about golf is that you could be having a terrible day. You could be really upset about something. And if you play really well, you completely forget about it. If you play really badly, you then are playing badly because of what's happening outside of golf. It's like a really weird kind of catch 22, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I love it. I think when I'm playing good golf is when I feel most like myself. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's yeah. a, that's a unique answer, but I get it. Yeah. I it's weird. Yeah. I've only ever played 
golf like twice in my life. Right. And I totally get the point of how humbling it is, is horrendous. No matter how quickly you pick up other things in yeah. life, golf is not one of those things that you pick up that easily. Oh, mate, you can sign the biggest deal of your life and go out to play golf to celebrate and it will ruin your day. <laughs> like absolutely ruin Don't your go day. out to play golf to celebrate. No, ever. never yeah. go out to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. No, crazy. No. Do you play? Do you still play any sport? I love playing football when I'm back here. Okay, so that's nice. one of the things. My mates know that when I'm back... In London, okay, we're going to play a game. Where of do you play? Well, we'll just we we will just play on like a seven aside pitch or a, a five aside pitch, like close to yeah, yeah, yeah. northwest London, which is where most of my mates are. So like nice. Stanmore, Edgware, Watford, that's like where all my main mates are. And so we'll just go rent a pitch, kick a ball about. I'm not any good anymore, sure, but I still well, got the full kit and the yeah, socks. Yeah, yeah, love know, it. All that kind I of always stuff. look dressed and <laughs> yeah, fresh, bro. Yeah, yeah. I've actually got Neymar's kit, like from him. Oh wow! So you best believe I'll show up to five aside in his full kit. I love it. I love it. Is it signed by him too? <laughs> nah, it's not no, signed no, by no, him. No, no, that's no, just, no. Yeah, that's just his kit. We went on a lads' holiday to Portugal recently to play golf, and at the resort we were staying at, the the people were so nice. They said, "Let's have an England versus Portugal football match." There was like, I think there was eight of us and there was a bunch of Brits that were working at the resort. So they kind of joined our team and we literally did England versus Portugal. It's a full-size pitch. We did 60 minutes, 30 minutes each way. I'm fit. I train every day. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. love my fitness. I really, really uh, like I'm into it. By the end, I could not make five paces without my legs cramping up. Oh, I, they are so fit, these football players. It's unbelievable. And we won... And it's so funny how the first 10 minutes of the game was really friendly, like yeah. soft fouls, sorry, mate, like yeah. your free kick. And by the end, it was <laughs> savage. It was yeah. really intense. Wow. At least you won there. We won. I got an assist. Okay. I, it was actually a glorious assist yeah. as well, actually. <laughs> I just I pinged the ball over the top. My brother made a run and it bounced and he managed to get his foot to it and he chipped the keeper and scored. Oh, wow. It was. But there's no footage. There's yeah. no footage. No which proof. Is, yeah, no proof. Yeah, no proof. I That's... sometimes think when the whole no proof thing, like we had the craziest experience of my life the other day. I'll tell you about it. Because our lives are so crazy, like there's no, why would I lie? But the other day we went swimming with killer whales in Mexico. I said the other day, it was last year. And it was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. There's no proof of it. There's no evidence because it was so off the cuff. We weren't planning on doing it. So most people I tell are like, you definitely didn't do that. But we we were in we were in Mexico and we were on a boat and we just so happened to see this pod of orca. <laughs> Jack, my security guard, thought it'd be a good idea to jump in. He jumped straight in, flippers on, goggles on, and we were driving to keep up with the whales because they were kind of following our boat. So by the time Jack had jumped in, he was like this. He was like a hundred meters away, and you could see him, and the whales were like swimming around him. So I'm starting to freak out because he's a good friend of mine. And he's your security yeah, guy. And he's so, my yeah. security. I'm yeah. like, Jack, we got to get back to the <laughs> yeah, hotel, yeah. bro. Um, so I said to the guy, like, excuse me, sir, can you turn around and go and get my friend? Because we now can't see him anymore. Like, he's oh, gone. Okay. We found him. We got him back in the boat. And he sort of said, like, lads, you have to get in. There is, it's unlike anything you've ever seen before. My brother Harry's, like, Googling whether or not it's safe to swim with them. And it's sort of the general consensus online is don't go swimming with killer whales. You can. There's never been a recorded tack in the wild, but they are wild animals. There's no one They're to also report. as big as a bus. <laughs> and also, Jack's giving it like, don't worry, Tom, I'll be there. I'll look after you. I'm like, Jack, what are you going to do, bro? Like, what's this, this whale decides to eat me? So anyway, we put the flippers on, put the goggles on. We find the whales. They're sort of interacting with the back of the boat. They're clearly curious. And I just thought like, 
I guess it goes back to what you're saying, the mode of ignorance. I just was like, I'm going to try it and see yeah. what happens. Yeah. I jumped in. My brother jumped in. Jack jumped in. We kind of came together. We're 30 miles out of the coast, so it's literally like dark blue water, nothing below us. And to my relief, the whales had gone. We couldn't see them. So I'm sort of thinking, oh, well, that's actually a bit of a touch. At least I can say I jumped in and they have gone. <laughs> but then Jack said, look down. And we looked down and it came from beneath us. And what has been such an interesting experience for me was as soon as I saw the whale, I wasn't scared anymore because I could just tell that it wasn't going to eat me. You, I, don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but you could just see from its body language. I remember it so vividly. It swam up to us. It was maybe... 10 meters below us and it was kind of motionlessly sort of just looking at us and then it kind of rolled on its back it did this weird thing where it kind of put its head like this and you could see its eye like we were having this crazy like moment and then it just swam off and it was gone and then for three hours afterwards i couldn't speak i had the biggest adrenaline dump i just basically was asleep but it was such an amazing experience to sort of meet the apex predator of the mm. world and it kind of look at you and just swim away. Mm. Most people don't believe me because I believe you. there's no evidence, but it was, I think about it now. And then, <laughs> as, you know, what's so funny as well. I see these, I, like our planet, there's, there's more footage of orcas hunting and another way in which they hunt. There is no way I would do that again. <laughs> yeah. There's no way I'd get in there again. <laughs> but yeah, That's it was amazing. amazing. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Atna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Whenever I travel, I feel like I become a new person. Like that time I explored the bustling streets of New York, I felt like I became Curious Jay immersing myself in the vibrant culture and sampling exotic street food. And then there was that trip to the mountains where I transformed into Adventurous Jay, conquering hiking trails and embracing the breathtaking scenery. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to for all my adventures. Whether I'm exploring the bustling streets of New York or venturing into the serene mountains, Booking.com has a wide variety of options, offering accommodations all across the US and all around the world that suit every kind of traveler. So when you're ready to plan your next trip and discover new sides of yourself, remember to book with Booking.com. Whether you're craving adventure in a cabin, a bit of luxury in a fancy hotel, some quality family time in a vacation rental, or just some chill vibes at a beachside resort, Booking.com has you covered. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com, Booking.yeah. I've got to say, herbs have been a game changer in my wellness routine, all thanks to my Indian upbringing. My mum was the one who got me started on them way back when. 
I've seen how they can do wonders for both body and the mind. One of my favorites is ashwagandha, which is an adaptogenic herb that helps reduce stress. I usually take it in the morning with my breakfast and it helps me stay cool, calm and collected throughout the day. Our sponsor Nature's Way has ashwagandha as well as herbs like St. John's Wort and Holy Basil that provide mood and stress support. They have over 50 years of experience sourcing herbs from all over the world in the continents and climates where they grow best. Nature's Way rigorously tests every batch of herbs for potency and purity in their state-of-the-art lab. To learn more, visit naturesway.com forward slash herbs and use code J10 at checkout for 10% off any herbal supplements. Terms and conditions apply, valid through June 30th. Hearing you explain it is like, you're so present. Yeah. Like you can tell that you're just, you were so present in that moment. Like you stop thinking about like, oh, well, you know, if I tell this after, no one's going to believe me or whatever it is. You're just like, wait a minute. Yeah. You know, nature makes you present like that. And, and that's what I love about nature is it's completely unbiased as well. Yeah. Like if that whale wanted to have a snack, then, you know, it's not looking at you going, oh no, but that's a famous person. I've got to leave him alone. Or it just, you are at one with mother nature. Yeah. We're in the middle of the ocean. There's nothing we could do. And we just were able to enjoy somewhat maybe like being in the cave, like you were saying. It was just about us and this whale. My brother and I were holding hands. But then as soon as it presented itself to us, any stress just dissipated. Yeah. And it was just this unbelievable experience. And it was so leveling. It was so humbling that it makes me feel like I can take on certain things. So it was, it, honestly, even thinking about the experience now, my heart is racing. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Yeah, it was, it wow. was wild. Yeah, it was yeah, a cool that's experience. That's unbelievable. That's, that's an incredible experience. And it is different from the cave though, because I do think it's, it's different when you're with another living being. Sure. And so that's what I found. Like my, my closest experience to what you're talking about is I went trekking with were looking for mountain gorilla in Rwanda last Mate, year. Oh, that's Have like you been? the top of my list. It, I would love to okay, do that. Yeah, we, we, we should do it. I would do that again any day because it was unbelievable. So you're not, again, these gorillas are not like in a park or something. No, they're no, no. In their mountain gorilla, they're in their world and you go and look for them and there's no tagging devices or any tech. There's people who have watched the gorilla for so many years that they know where their droppings are, they know where families hang out, they know what their routines are. So depending on what time you're going out, there's someone who's just around them who's calling their friend, uh, calling your guide saying, walk this, this way. This is where you've got to go. Exactly, right. just just to make it very, very clear that you know the, uh, the gorilla is being treated very well. Uh, so you, you're literally looking around and you could be on the lookout for them for like two to six hours. Wow. You may not find them. You're just hiking. See, I love that. Though, yeah, that you might not find yeah, them. Yeah, you might not find them. So we found them in two hours. One group that we heard about, because you go in smaller groups of like 10. The other group that we are friends with, they took eight hours to find gorillas, but they saw them too. And when I went, I was kind of like, oh, we're going to see one gorilla or whatever. Like they're going to be far away. Like I was a bit skeptical sure. because I, I didn't know how it was going to be. And it was incredible because we looked around for two hours and I'll show you the video afterwards, but we got, and we just saw them like hanging out, kind of like how I'm looking at everyone here, just hanging out still. And then all of a sudden they all started walking together and there was a family of 20 gorillas. Wow. And you've got two silverbacks that are like, you know, they're like, their fists are like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like just huge. You slap you and you're gone. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was really interesting because the guides who were there with us, they said to us that when you go close to them, kind of like, and this is why I remembered it and why I'm telling you, it's because 
when you were talking about the way the whale looked at you mm -hmm. and it was kind of like you knew it wasn't going to eat you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they were saying that when you get close to these gorillas, the only thing you can't do is you can't touch their kids and you can't touch them. Yeah. And so you can't drop something near their kids and then try get it back because they'll think you're trying to harm their kids. Totally. But what they recommended was they said you had to make this sound when you see them and this sound means we come in peace. And so the sound was... <clears throat> So that's, you have to make okay. that sound. And I was like, all right, this is some Disneyland yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Sounds like nonsense. I was like, yeah, I'm not believing this stuff. Like, whatever. Like, I was like, all right, I'm going to play around with it. Mm -mm. Yeah. And so I'm walking around. So we go to the gorilla and we get close to them. And I made that sound because we were told they were like, make that sound. And then the gorilla did it back. And it was just wow. unbelievable. And then there was this one moment where we were walking and we were literally surrounded by gorilla. Now I was getting it. And that's when I was like a bit scared sure. because they were like all around us. And like literally if they ran at you, like I'm done. Yeah, like, you know, nothing you can do. Nothing, nothing you can do. And so we're walking, they're walking around us and this massive silverback came up. So I'm, uh, my business manager was with me as well. And so he's there. He's like my godfather in LA. Like he sure, really sure, looks, sure. takes care of me. Love so it. very close to him. And so... This big, um, this big gorilla that walks behind him, and like, I'm looking at him, going, "Oh man!" Like he stopped, and we're all looking at him because he's got this massive silverback behind him, and I'm, and we're all like, "How do we tell him to move?" And the guy's like, "Just be still, like just you know, be really present, like you can't freak out." And the gorilla just went, <clears throat> "Wow!" Behind him, amazing. and he moved out the way and just walked past. Wow! And it was just, it was that same presence that you're feeling that I felt with them, and that's what I mean. The sure. living, being with another living being is is spectacular so do you think that level of ease comes from the helpless nature of being in the presence of an animal that could do to you whatever they want to like i think part of the reason why i felt so calm when the whale had come up was because there was nothing we could do should it go sideways yeah and i think being almost finding that kind of inner peace of like i've made my mind this is the choices I've made. I'm here now. There's nothing I can do. It's almost like you should make peace with your choices, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. No, like no, no. I think that's, I think you've actually taken it somewhere really beautiful, mate. I, I think for me as well, it's humility. Yeah, that's what. And like when you, when you meet someone new, rarely are we humble. Sure. We, we often feel the pressure to be like, well, oh, look at who I am or right, like, right, right. you know, or we're trying to create, even if it's not out of ego, there's a certain sense of like, wanting to gain people's like and respect. Yeah, and you Whereas want to impress like, people. No matter what I do, this whale or gorilla is not going to like or respect me. Sure. So I better just be humble about it. Yeah. And at peace, as you said. And it levels you. And it levels you. And it, and it allows that human being, that, that being also, of course, it's not, you know... Of course, we're not there's no we're not recommending that you just go into these places. I wouldn't, but, I, yeah. Yeah, but the idea being that I do think there's something magical about nature where humility is kind of nature's way. Mm -hmm. And it is that what you're saying, that when you're at peace with your choices and you're at peace with here we are, here I sure. am, I can't do anything. And guess what? It's okay. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It, yeah. It's somewhat sort of like I've made a decision. If the decision is a mistake, you've got to live with it because yeah. you made it. I yeah. Guess. I want to talk about um, sports because I was thinking, so I, I play a lot of tennis, play a lot of football. Love it. I uh, play a lot of pickleball now. You play a lot because, of pickleball, pickleball because okay. that's, that's become a thing. Big in LA. LA thing, yeah. But, but I'm massively more into paddle. I don't Mate. think you've ever... I love paddle tennis. I love bro. paddle. Paddle like, tennis is so, so fun. I want that to blow up in yeah. the US, but it's not going to. So when I went to Dubai and I went to Miami and I went to Madrid because it's big in Spain. Mate. Are they playing it here? Yeah. My local tennis club has got two courts. No and like way. you can't book them. They're so sold out. All right. 
Honestly, paddle tennis. I love tennis. Yeah. I think tennis is one of the best sports in the world. Yeah. And I think that, you know, they are the highest performing athletes, some of in the world. But it's really hard tennis. Yeah. Yeah. Like I find unless I'm playing with someone who's much better than me, I don't play well. <laughs> yeah. Like I really I, I need to be chasing someone. Yeah. Paddle tennis is so social. It's it's easy to have great rallies. You still get the the uh the satisfaction of really smacking a ball because yeah. pickle is it's all about placement and, and trying to kind of one up your opponent whereas yeah, you're playing at the kitchen and just yeah doing exactly the dink. yeah why is it called a kitchen i have no idea and i do, that's so i play pickle like paddle right because i'm i'm like no I'm it's nonsense yeah. Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> why i do like pickle um but paddle tennis is amazing next time yeah, yeah paddles paddles one of my favorite favorite i was in dubai uh, with a client for work for months uh, a couple of years back i played it every day for three months that's great exercise and it was just, yeah it's the best workout the most fun like yeah. time just flew is amazing but i was bringing it back to sports because i was saying i was saying you know you you personally tried to recruit mbappe for tottenham i did yeah and and i just thought that was amazing because i was like i've never seen this ever happen before where you know someone's using their clout in the right way listen i saw him <laughs> i'm a mad tottenham fan and I just thought, now's my chance. And he said, no, <laughs> the deal didn't go through. No signing bonus for myself. That was a crazy trip, that going to the Ballon d'Or. Yeah. We were there for Spider-Man. Spider-Man was coming out. I'm not really sure how that was promo for <laughs> Spider-Man, but like it was part of our trip for yeah, some yeah. reason. But it was amazing meeting these players and, and I admire them so much. It's incredible when you can notice other athletes and other greatness. And I see that at the top. We're talk we've talked a lot today about, and, and you're really good at this. Like you really, I feel like, I feel like you're quite tuned into like admiring and observing greatness and like the 1% and, sure. and trying to figure out what they're doing differently. And I think that's one of the things I've definitely seen of the 1% is that there's a humility in that they have the ability to appreciate other people's greatness and skills mm -hmm. and values and purpose like they're not looking at it going i'm the best of all time sure there's a part of that they, they may have to say that for the cameras or they may have to say that before they go on the pitch but actually if you talk to them and you ask them about someone else they'll be like yeah best best player i've ever seen like they're right. incredible and yeah so who did you admire growing up in acting who do you admire today like who have been the people that and maybe on a mindset level or maybe on a or, or a performance level as well there are definitely performances of people that I look up to. There are there are the types of careers of certain actors that I really admire. There are also like the the types of lives that certain people lead that I really admire and that I really aspire to sort of be like. Um, I tend to let all of my admiration go towards athletes. Mm. I'm just so blown away by what they can do under the pressure that they're under. Me as an actor, I realize that my job is a high pressure job because it reaches millions of people. But that said, there are so many people that help me get to where I need to be. Mm -hmm. I get picked up, someone makes me breakfast, someone writes the words that I'm supposed to say, someone chooses my costume, someone does my hair and makeup, someone sets the camera up. Ultimately, I walk onto set and I do my bit. But I'm a small part in a massive machine. But when you look at someone like Djokovic or Federer or you know this new Alcaraz, you know, or the golfers or, or Lewis. Lewis is slightly different because Formula One is so much about the team and the car and all that sort of stuff. They have to do it themselves at a certain point. There's only so much help they can get. But then when they walk onto that court for the first time, when they walk into the ring or into the octagon, it's them by themselves. They're under that amount of pressure. 
It's up to them whether they deliver or not. And I just have always been admiring of seeing some of the greats lose their win streak and come back even stronger. I've always really been an admirer of people that are able to do that. I think it's a folly when you see these win streaks of 50 and 0 and all that sort of stuff. And you're like, well, that to me isn't what a champion is. A champion is someone who had it all, lost it all, and got it right back again. Mm-hmm. Tyson Fury's story is a crazy one. I'd love to see AJ come back and be on top again because I'd love to be alive to witness that legacy that he would leave behind, mm. you know. I feel sorry for him, what happened to him when he sort of seemed to really lose it a little bit in the ring when he took the microphone. And I'd love to see him back on top and to to have some clarity and, and to be a champion again. Because I admire him as an athlete. So I, I save most of my admiration for athletes yeah, and yeah. musicians. I love musicians. I see someone like Ed Sheeran, yeah, 80,000 people in the palm of his hand. I think comedians are... Equally as talented, the ability that they can just go on stage and make people laugh, that is terrifying. Actors, for me, because it's what I do, yeah, yeah. it's like, meh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, I get, I get what you're saying, I get what you're saying. And, and at the end of the day, it's just, it's it's taking what you can from from what you aspire for, right? Like, you you can take something from all these people. Right. And, and what I love about it is some of these people you know, some of these people you don't. But I always say to people who are listening and watching that you can be mentored by people you've never met. You're right. And, totally. and I think that's a really important skill to gain because I think we live in a world right now where somewhat access has become easier. And we always think we need access to people directly in sure. order to learn from them. But you don't know everyone you've just mentioned, even though you may know a couple of them closely. And, and same with me. Like I was really fortunate, you know, growing up as a teenager, I got introduced to like Martin Luther King's work and Malcolm X's work and I was reading crazy stuff at that age, but Mm -hmm. it had a massive impact on my mindset. I never met all those people and obviously would never have got the opportunity to do that, but I feel mentored by them without ever having sat in the same room as them because you study like how they made decisions and you study what they said and what they wrote. What they stood for. What they stood for and how, and and the parts that you don't hear through history, Mm -hmm. the parts that were actually more difficult and the parts where they weren't the perfect hero. Right. And so all of that kind of stuff. But Tom, before we go to the final five, you've been so gracious with your time today. I have to ask you if if you want to clarify the Harry Kane situation because I'll tell you what, (laughs) the reason why I say this is I had the dream. So I'm a Manchester United supporter. Everyone in my community knows that very well. Right. Uh, I have always had the dream that Harry Kane, when Wayne Rooney retired, Mm -hmm. Harry Kane was going to come to Manchester United. Okay. And he was going to follow in the footsteps of all the great England forwards that have played at Manchester United. That didn't happen. No, it I'm didn't still happen. holding on to that dream. But you want him to go somewhere else. Well, listen, <laughs> listen, let me just clarify, right? I love Harry Kane. I love Human Son. Human Son is my favorite football player. He is a hero. I love Tottenham. I'm a big Tottenham fan. But I just, I know that those players could thrive and have the best careers ever Mate, somewhere else. <laughs> I just want to see, I want to see Harry lifting a trophy and I want to see Son there by him and, and, and I just don't think... Tottenham. You're rooting for the individual. Y- yeah. Yeah. I'll always be a Tottenham fan. I, you know, I love being a Spurs fan. Yeah. My brother Harry and I, you know, we've really bonded over it. But I, I just, you know, Harry yeah. Kane's one of the best strikers in the world. Yeah, and yeah. Um, he would fit into almost any team. And I'd love to see him on top. Yeah. And I, interesting question. Do you think he would have had a similar season to Haaland had he gone to see? Ooh. Ooh, that's a... Uh... I personally think... Because I think Haaland's amazing. I, th- I think Haaland with his age, his strength and his mentality. You know what's crazy about Haaland is, I saw this interview 
and you know, obviously it, hate, it hurts me to say it, but City and all, but when Haaland did this interview, he just scored like, I can't remember which game it was. He's unbelievable. He scored, he scored like five goals that game. And he was like, I should have had seven. And, and the interview was like, come on though, take some credit. Like you scored five goals. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that. But he goes, you know, there were a couple of assists that should have gone in. And I thought that mentality. Mm -hmm. you know, That's a winner's he, mindset. Yes, yeah, a winner's mindset. I was like, he was, he knew exactly which opportunities he missed. And I was like, so I think it's an age thing. Yeah. I think it's a strength thing. I feel like Haaland's kind of like, I've always compared Haaland to like Ivan Drago. Like he was made in a lab. Right, right, right. Like yeah. he was made. Like he was manufactured yeah, yeah, to be yeah. this incredible talent. He is and, incredible. and I think City's good with like he he admits like he scores a lot of tap-ins. And I think that's his game. Yeah, but mate, and, there's no in a good on way. a scorecard, you know. No, like, no, in a good way. I'm yeah, saying, totally. I'm saying like he's been built in that way and City played that way. I don't know if Kane's a tapping guy. Like sure. he's he's his his goals have generally been a bit more diverse in that sense. Magic. Like, yeah. Magic is the way I would yeah. describe Kane. Yeah. No, I, lo I love him. <laughs> and obviously it's a typical thing of like the press are out saying, oh, Tom Holland's begging Kane to leave. I'm not begging him to leave. I love that he's at our club because I'd be terrified to see where we'd be without him. But I just love to see him have the career I know he could have. Yeah. What do you think of Jude Bellingham to Madrid? I think that's a great move. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> you just want everyone to I love that. And what's, what's interesting <laughs> is that all of my friends in Spain are from Barcelona. I have yeah. one friend from Madrid. I've always been a big Barca supporter because I used to go to Barcelona all the time as a kid. I had a few weekends where I'd say to my mum and dad, oh, I'm going to my friend's house and I would go to Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> How did you pull that off, mate? Just like, sneaky, bro. If I told um, my Indian parents that, I was like, yeah, I they, got, they know the dial tone straight away. And mate, that. I got caught. My mum called me up and was like, where are you? I was... I was trying to say, I was at my friend's house. She said, no, you're not, because I'm here. <laughs> and I was in La Ramblas in Barcelona. Um, but I just I just love players. I think Jude Bellingham's amazing. And, you know, I just love to see what he could do there. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's, totally. uh, the thing for me is I love legacy. I love seeing what players can do. Yeah. I'm less about the teams. That's what I love about tennis or golf. You know, it's not about the team. It's about the player. So I would just love to see what he could do there. And, you know, I'm sure one day we'll see England raise a trophy and, oh, and I, we've nice. got such a great young team and and um, I admire them all but yeah I think it's a great move for him and yeah. he's only 19 or I something know. like that it's insane yeah he's 19 I mean, that's yeah. wild it's incredible he's a year older than my brother Paddy <laughs> that's mental mate uh, you've been amazing today honestly uh, this is uh, yeah this has been some of the most fun I've had in a long time yeah so me thank too you. thank you I appreciate but, uh, it I want to ask we ask everyone the final five and so these are the fast five questions okay which means answers have to be one word to one sentence maximum okay no more than that done okay uh, and you don't have to write or spell them out so no 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 problem that'd be a there. long yeah. that'd be a long yeah, so segment none of, none of that alright so Tom Holland these are your final five uh, question one what is the best advice you've ever received to turn your nerves into excitement I like that. That we've never had that on the show. I love that. All right. Second question. What is the worst advice you've ever received? Move to LA, get a marijuana license and buy a hot tub. Who told you that? <laughs> Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Now he told me that on a chat show. So I don't know if that was legit advice, but I didn't take his advice. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, uh, who would you have been if you took that advice? Uh, who knows? Yeah, who, who knows? knows? Um, all right. Question number three. What's the first thing you do every morning and the last thing you do every night? Make my bed. It's the first thing I do. And the last thing I do before I go to bed, admittedly, is I check my emails, which I shouldn't do. But that is what I do. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, we ask that just to make you aware of what you need to change. I do <laughs> need to change that. Making my bed is a good start. I used to never do that. And yeah. now, like, my first thing I do is I make my bed. That's, like, my first challenge of the day. It's a yeah. good... It's an easy one to get done. Question four, what's something you're trying to learn at the moment? I'm currently taking golf lessons. <laughs> 
and uh, we see a trend here. It's not going very well. How, where where are you at at the moment? Thing is, with golf, is that the golf swing is a very very particular thing. So in order to get better, you do have to take quite a few steps backwards. I've taken maybe twenty five steps backwards, but I will I will benefit from it eventually. Are you doing it every day? Every day. Not I've lessons said, every day, but I practice every day. I've always yeah. said that to my wife. I was like, I want to go away for a month and I want to get a trader. I'm going to play golf every single day. Oh, mate, I know a great teacher. Way I'd, yeah, that's the only way. I had a really, so one of my clients took me to PXG in Arizona, yeah. which is like this beautiful place, Bob Parsons' place. And I had a coach there for two days and I was like half decent after two yeah. days because the coach was so good. Yeah, mate. And when I got back to LA, I tried to get a coach and I couldn't find a good one. And then I had a coach that literally, he came highly recommended, but it didn't work out for me. He he didn't let me take like 0.7 of a swing before he gave me feedback. And I was like, I just That's need tough. to hit a few. Like I need to kind of just, and it was like every time I was about to hit the ball, I'd be like, nope. Sure, sure, sure. And I was like, I just need to kind of like get a feel for it. And so. The guy yeah. I go to is a guy called James Heath. Okay. And he does most of his teachings off of feel. So it's not about numbers. It's not about results. It's more about how do you feel? I, he, he calls it the feels. So like I'm working on twisting my hips more in my backswing. And he will say to me, how does that make you feel? Like physically, mm. where do you feel the stretch? Where do you feel the pain? Where do you feel the pinch? Great question. That's what I need you to feel. And I, coming from a dancer's background, that's a really great way for me to learn because everything in dancing is about feel. Yeah. Um, so if you need a great teacher in London, James Thank Heath is Thank you, mate. Thank you. Shout out James Heath. Yeah, Love shout it. out James Heath. <laughs> Fifth and final question. If you could create one law that everyone else in the world had to follow, what would it be? Um, I don't know. I don't know what one law would solve the most amount of problems. What would you say? Curious. I'd probably go to something you said earlier. If, if I'm giving a genuine answer, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. real answer, is I really wish there was a life school. Oh, mate. Like, I, I, that would be it because I'm not saying that would solve all the problems in the world. No. But it would set people up. And when I say life school, I mean emotional mastery. I mean... 100%. Ego mastery. I mean the ability to be kind and empathetic and vulnerable and compassionate mm -hmm. and create safe spaces. I think a life school that taught you how to be non-judgmental sure. and non-critical of others without understanding them. I think sure. that's what I mean by life school. So not just the like paying taxes and bills and stuff, yeah. but, but the life school of like, well, what if, what if we didn't have to live in a world where we just said everything we wanted to and did everything 100%. we wanted to and got away with it and you know. But I think life, the life lesson for me should be basic health and CPR and basic yeah. first aid training. It should be, like you said, creating an environment at school where young people feel more comfortable talking about themselves, what they're going through, you know, things that might be happening at home or things that are happening at school. Like, I think that that would be an amazing way for us to be more expressive and more comfortable expressing. And again, like, I know I keep going back to it, but it's about what my show is about which is you should feel empowered when asking for help. It should be something that you're proud of, like you're recognizing that you have an issue. It might be an internal issue. It might be an external issue, but you are seeking help, which I think is very admirable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do encourage and recommend everyone go watch The Crowded Room. I, I personally am loving it with my wife, honestly. Like I, I barely watch TV shows, if I'm completely honest, and uh, it's because I, I like something that makes me think and reflect and, you know, and entertain me at the same time. Sure, great. And I, and I think it does a brilliant job of doing all three. Like, it, it's gripping. I'm, like, trying to figure out what's going on next. Nice. At the same time, I'm, like, it's it's amazing watching you 
being able to be this very different character to what we know you as. Sure. And that's really impressive. So even oh, on like, even on a performance level, I'm like, I'm forgetting that you are Spider-Man. Nice. Right? Like, and that's, that's, the that's, that's how I watch movies where I'm like, can I forget right. who this person is? And, or are they playing a caricature of themselves, obviously? Sure, sure, sure. And with you, I'm like, I don't even think to think it's you. Right, right, right. Like, right now I'm talking to you and I've been watching the show. I'm like, oh, it's not even the same person. Sure. And and that is really, thank really you. impressive on a performance standpoint. So. Well, thank you so much. The best. Thank I really so appreciate much, it. You've been on it. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you, mate. Thank you. If you love this episode, you'll love my interview with Kobe Bryant on how to be strategic and obsessive to find your purpose. Our children have become less imaginative about how to problem solve. And parents and coaches have become more directive in trying to tell them how to behave versus teaching them how to behave. Ah, oh, summer. The best time of the year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access. No reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. 